This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by me and Joe's absolutely lovely friend and one of our favourite people in the world, Hearing one of our lovely backers at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. And hey, if you want to support this show, get access to hundreds of hours of audio content, including pay-per-view reviews from WWE and AEW, going all the way back to summer of 2015, as well as that, our How To Revisited series, and our most recent offerings, The Big Show Show Show, featuring the to your podcast Adam Bibolo and pay-per-view classic where our fans vote on pay-per-views from the past for me and Joe to have a look at most recent episode was New Year's Revolution 2006 we've also stopped by WCW Halloween Havoc 1995 AJW Destiny as well as that Billy Keeble has even joined us for a special Billy's Picks all of that is available for just $5 over at patreon.com slash wrestling and if you become a $10 backer you get access to Joe's Q&A video Every month, an hour-long video with Joe as she answers all of your questions and gives her thoughts on the world of wrestling and the world at large. And don't forget, if you want to sponsor an episode of How to Wrestling, you can. All details are available on the Patreon page. If not, send us an email to howtowrestling at gmail.com. Subject, sponsorship. But for now, enjoy this. It's time for another swirl into the world of movies as we have a look at The Wrestler. Welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe how to enjoy a movie or two, and we're back once again with another bonus episode. Hello, it's me, erstwhile film podcaster over at Cinema Swirl, taking the format, jingle jingle, for a joyride with my other OTP, Joe Graham. Ooh, other OTP. The I mean, fans will be furious. Well, I figured the easiest way to grow the Podcrabs brand at this point it's Civil War. Uh, it works well for Ireland, so I figure it'll work out well here as well. It'll it'll leave divisions which will be here for generations to come. I see, so you're pitting me and Sam, the two Brits, against each other. Yeah, I figured it'd be fun for us in, right, uh, in yeah. Ireland to be like, hey, let's have a pop of that, like, you know? You've seen Irish people fight each other enough, so let's put the shoe on the other foot. Now, we're here today, and I've been promised by Sam one of the conditions of doing the format for Cinema Swirl is I'm not to use the terrible title How To Door Wrestling Cinema Club. I won't use that. But we have already done an edition of this where we've looked at a movie that you've not seen before. If you're not familiar with the Cinema Swirl format, the, the person I'm with here has not seen this movie. We're going to talk about it. Then we're going to go watch it. And then we're going to talk about the movie. So I would recommend that if you've not watched the movie, you don't have to go watch it now. But I would say at the break, go and see the movie. Otherwise, there'll be big spoilers ahead. So Joe... Why are we doing The Wrestler today? I was hoping you could tell me that. I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming it has something to do with the title of the film, yeah. The Wrestler. The Wrestler. Are you aware of this movie? Like, to what extent uh, is, is this movie, like, how long has it been kind of in your in your uh, headspace? I'd say quite a long time. Maybe, like, five years or so. I think the first time I heard of The Wrestler was when 
you and the Ashtier podcast lads reviewed it, I think. So yeah, I think I've got like a bit of a cursed history with this movie. Because you've covered it a lot of times for a lot of podcasts. I've only covered it officially once. Really? Oh, I thought you've done it twice. No, no. Because you've done it for Cinema Swirl. I did it for Cinema Swirl, and that's when Kevin was so excited about there being two podcasts that he absolutely wanted to do a Christmas crossover, just because I wanted Adam Bimelow and Sam Chaplin to podcast together. Oh, that was a Christmas crossover. It, it was the worst Christmas crossover ever. Oh. Not from the fact that they're like, hey, we had a fun time and all yeah, that. Yeah, but it's but not like, very Christmassy. It's not, and I don't know how Adam Bibolo and myself convinced ourselves that it was going to be like a rootin' tootin' good time. Oh, like. no. But let's just say, I'm not trying to bury the lead here as is, as this famous on Cinema Swirl to do so, but I will say, it's not a Christmas cracker, this movie. They were really? Now there's a surprise. And uh, another fun fact, we did an audio commentary for, for that year podcast with this. It's the only one we've never released because for some reason we found out that there's like just like another version of this movie that's like 60 seconds longer and usually when there's two versions of the movie it's like director's cut and not it's not just in America it was like slightly and as a commentary track it didn't work so we never released it that's so annoying yeah so um third time's a charm <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean are there anything any kind of themes about this movie or is there anything you've heard about this movie then seeing as it's been in your in your brain a little bit for the past few years as far as i know it's about wrestling yeah is that it it's a sad movie sad movie why are you basing that on other than i did have a good time at christmas <laughs> all the posters are of mickey rook looking sad dan's artwork's pretty sad yes it's, it's excellent but it is yeah it conveys sadness it's sad Wrestling is quite sad. I mean, we've been doing this podcast quite a few years now. and Generally, it's quite sad. <laughs> I mean, we, for a positive podcast, I think that we do spend a lot of time looking at some quite dark stuff in wrestling. I think, obviously, wrestling has got its fair share of darkness and whatnot. Do you think this is going to be like kind of a, a dark, depressing movie because it's like wrestling's dark and depressing? Or do you think that it's a movie, it's going to portray things a certain way and perhaps that's a less than flattering portrayal of, of wrestling or whatever. I'm hoping it's going to be both. Okay. Because I feel that's like the one thing I've not seen done accurately with regards to media portrayals of the wrestling industry. Okay. Like, we watched Ready to Rumble, obviously, <laughs> last month. you got to take the sweet of the sour, folks. Yeah, <laughs> and it was not very realistic. You should have enjoyed yourself more. <laughs> that was your own fault. I didn't know what I had. <laughs> but I would... Yeah, I, I really would like, and I think I've said this throughout the whole of how to wrestling is how much I'd love to see like a TV show or a movie or something about like the more dramatic sides of wrestling that you don't get to see necessarily in wrestling, but you might read about in like their autobiographies or yeah. you hear about in shoot interviews and stuff. Like there's a lot of sinister, dark sided shit that goes on that kind of like you don't necessarily know about until you read between the lines. Yeah, or do a podcast about or it. Do a podcast about it, exactly. So I'm expecting it to be not funny. Okay. I'm expecting it to be somewhat of a tragedy. Mm -hmm. I think someone will die. Okay. I think 
Assuming Mickey Rourke is playing the wrestler. No, spoiler, he is on the poster. You know he's he's in the movie. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, it's either him or Marissa Tomei. Maybe she's the wrestler. I'd like that as you're, well. You're a big Tomei head. I'm not a big Tomei head. No? I didn't even know who she was until I watched Seinfeld a couple of years back. <laughs> and they like, have a running joke about how Marissa Tomei is really hot. And I was like, oh, who is she? But then we watched My Cousin Vinny a couple of weeks ago. And you're like, oh. oh. yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. She won an Academy Award for fucking being great. <laughs> so, yeah. I think the titled wrestler mm-hmm. will be probably have some kind of addiction, either alcohol, pain pill dependency, general drugs, okay, partying lifestyle. I'm guessing he gets some kind of quite severe injury that is either career ending or career changing. Okay. I just wanted just to, to, to dial back a bit to that you said earlier about how you were wanting to see a movie that maybe accurately portrayed the world of wrestling. I'm not saying one way or the other, by the way, whether or not this does this. Yeah. But just as a matter of interest as to why you would want that. Because <laughs> I, I do... I, I This movie came out... The, around the time it came out was actually the time it went to WrestleMania 25. Oh, so right. this very much like had a... As you can imagine, this is like right when Twitter was really picking up and like a, online arguments were, were, were becoming quite a thing, more so than the past. But there's obviously a lot of people who were very apprehensive about the movie when it was coming out because obviously people were worried about wrestling being portrayed a certain way. Why do you think it's important for it to be portrayed accurately even if that shows like kind of an ugly side of wrestling do you think people should be rightly scared off of wrestling do you think that there's kind of issues that just needs that people don't know about like why is it that you want this kind of accurate portrayal of wrestling and not just wcw escapism (laughs) (laughs) because people don't know about wrestling it's not Mm. it's not mainstream it's so misunderstood and the thing that shocks me always and the thing that shocked me when i first became a wrestling fan is just how it hasn't penetrated the mainstream that like the average person does not know anything about wrestling or the wrestling industry or the history of wrestling or like the dodgy practices surrounding the wrestling industry do you think that there is an industry that people know about less and prejudge more in that sense? Because you say that most people don't know about wrestling. I would say that's 100% true. Mm. But you and I have been to enough family dinners to meet enough people to know that, oh yeah, I know what it is though, even though I've never actually seen it. But I know intrinsically what it yeah, is. Yeah, everyone kind of knows what it is because I guess it's self-explanatory. Like, it's wrestling. You kind of have this idea immediately in your head of people pretending to fight. Yeah. Which isn't inaccurate. But there's more to wrestling and i think the fascinating thing about wrestling isn't just like it as an art form but how it runs as an industry Mm. and how it's so different from tv movies um journalism like i was thinking about this the other day i was listening to dave Meltzer. bad idea sorry sometimes i need to get the news while i'm at dinner (laughs) and that's that's how that happens and just i i often hear dave Meltzer say the most ridiculous hilarious shit that i would love to take and recontextualize for like a movie review or like sports journalism or something like it's just wrestling journalism just does not work in the same way like it's it's just it's part sports part criticism like art criticism part journalism like it's this weird crossover of all three it is it is as much a complex weird mirror as wrestling itself is and that's the thing like (laughs) the average person doesn't realize that and that's the thing that i'm most interested by is the fact that like 
obviously you can get these sad wrestlers in real life who have these like really tragic stories but great careers and then they kind of go poof into nothingness and it's like well how how does that happen obviously that happens in hollywood Mm. or for certain musical artists but the reason it happens and the way it happens in wrestling is very different. And do you think, like, more to the fact that you, know, you talk about wrestling journalism, how it's kind of a bit skewed and weird? Like, I'm not, not saying like it's without value, or whatever, but compared to any other sports or entertainment journalism, it's very strange by yeah, comparison. Because I think, like, most, most media that requires like okay so sports for example like sports journalism it's a simple case of like did these people play well did they do a good score yes or no it's like fact-based yeah so there's no like opinion there but then if you go to like movie reviews and like tv reviews or book reviews and stuff it's like then critical it's subjective it's personal depends on your interpretation of it and wrestling is like smack bang in the middle of that Venn diagram where it's like both subjective but also not. So on that note, on that then, like kind of with your idea of what the movie might be, do you think this like as a movie is going to be kind of quite, you know, um, challenging to the average wrestling fan as opposed to someone who has no knowledge of wrestling whatsoever? Like, do you think this is going to uncover some ugly truths or do you think this is all stuff that all wrestling fans just know about anyway? I think it will all be stuff that wrestling fans know about anyway. Mm. I don't I'm not expecting this to be like a deep dive into like whoa, look how weird wrestling is as an industry, look how different it is. I'm I'm not expecting it to be that. Are you expecting the the business to be exposed? What do you mean? As in like to what extent do you think the movie will let you in on the act of the actual performance of the wrestling and whatnot? Do you think they'll be part of it? I'm hoping, I'm really hoping it will be heavily part of it because Mm. like that's the thing i really really want to see is the idea of like you know someone with all this athleticism and skill and talent and like someone who's obviously very physically fit and strong and a performer try their hardest to succeed in an industry that is predetermined and is kind of based on skill but also based on luck and and who you know and and politics and like I, i really want them to look at that like personally selfish I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much about what this movie will be you seem very excited I am so (laughs) excited I've wanted to watch this movie for like five years it's like first thing on a Monday morning and it would be like a flash yeah it's Monday oh man I'm I'm very happy that you're excited about about the movie the thing I really really hope is that like Mickey Rourke as the wrestler he's obviously really strong and he looks like a proper professional wrestler I'm hoping that they'll show that even if you have all the skill and the, the the drive, that sometimes circumstances beyond your control okay. just mean it just doesn't work out for you. It's like, you know, I, I'm hoping they'll show that like much with going to Hollywood, there's more failures than there are successes. Okay, yeah. So a question I have for you then, mm. you mentioned Mickey Rourke and all the, the fighting and whatnot. Are you expecting to see him like Mickey Rourke, the actor, wrestle in the movie. Yes. And do you think that he'd have a stunt guy? Do you think he's in there himself, learn the business, or, or the business of professional wrestling, or, or what? what is it you think is going on? I don't know much about Mickey Rourke. I think he's supposed to be quite, like... I mean, I know what he looks like. He's really buff. Yeah. I assume he's, like, probably into... The way people like that often are, big... Act, famous actors they often genuinely are quite good at things like right. MMA and okay. Jiu Jitsu and stuff so I'm sure he's 
maybe he'll have a stunt person to a couple of moves, but I think, to be honest, I think most of it will be him. But do you, are you going to see much of the wrestling in, or do you think it's more about the drama surrounding like wrestling? It's more kind of the backdrop. I think it's going to be more about the drama okay. because I think this is supposed to be for non-wrestling fans, not wrestling fans. I think we will get to see some wrestling though, but I don't, I'm not expecting to see like 450 splashes from Mickey okay. Rourke or like <laughs> the coup de gras or whatever. Like, I think he'll probably do you know some some basic stuff like Irish whips or like strikes. A little bit of Hogan wrestling. Choke holds. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, it's kind of simple stuff. Eye that's rakes, like back rakes. Yeah, <laughs> stuff that you do need training for, but not like you have to be a professional wrestler for so 20 why, you years. you reckon Mickey Rourke's going to be on, on top of Cobo Hall and the, the Mickey Rourke monster truck? <laughs> or like... War games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I told you way back when that like when we're doing this movie, we'd have to wait until we've like done enough wrestlers that I feel like you had the kind of right context for it. And I'm not saying we've done every single wrestler that could have been an inspiration mm. for, for this character. And, and I won't point any particular people to be certain inspirations. But is there anyone you anticipate from the, the canon of, of male wrestlers that we've done to be kind of a, an indirect or a direct influence? Or do you think it's going to be kind of a mix of a few people? Or do you think is it going to be not? Nah, it's, it's going to be blank the movie or whatever. If they're smart about it, it will be a combination of a few different wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I don't see them... Yeah, because this isn't a WCW movie or a WWE movie or any other movie made by a wrestling company or promotion. I don't see this being directly about one wrestler because copyright gets yeah. involved then and personal life stories and I just think that's too complicated. So it makes sense to me for them to probably pick the most interesting elements from like some of the top guys in wrestling who okay. had very interesting careers and lives so i'm guessing it's going to be a bit about rick flair in there like mm-hmm. maybe some of the the money problems the overspending the the partying lifestyle i'm guessing might be a bit of that mm-hmm. macho man maybe his whole like very conflicted relationships that he had and the fact that he was obviously very lonely and not one of the guys but yeah, obviously, there's a whole dodgy shit with him and Elizabeth, and I think Jake the Snake as well. I'm, yeah. That's the thing I'm mainly guessing that we're going to yeah. see is like probably an element of like Mickey Rourke's character having some kind of childhood trauma or or drug addiction. I think okay. that's going to be the main thing. And one final one. This is wishful thinking. Yeah. I hope there's a bit of Brett in there. Oh. I have a feeling. When did this movie come out? 2008 slash 9, I think? I think there's going to be a reference to the Montreal Screwjob. Okay, interesting. I think the wrestler will get screwed. Are you... You're familiar with the director, Darren Aronofsky? You you like his work or have you seen many of his things? He did Requiem for a Dream and yeah. Black Swan. Yeah, you showed me and... Black Swan. I was a, a hoot and a holler. Yeah, and I, th- I think I've seen some other stuff by him. I've liked everything that I've seen of his as far as I know, yeah. Do you trust him as a, as a director? Would you say you know enough about him to, to handle... I mean, not, not everyone's queuing up in Hollywood to say, hey, I want to make a movie about wrestling. No, seriously. I hope he's... Um... He's no Eric Bischoff. He's no, <laughs> he's no Vince Russo. I get very conflicted about these things because on the one hand, I'm like, oh, I hope they're a fan. But on the other hand, I'm like, no, I don't want them to be a fan because a fan is too close to the subject material. You need someone... This is getting around sound really smug. Yeah. You need someone like me. <laughs> who isn't like massively involved in the industry, but has kind of come in a bit late and gone, okay, what's going on here? This is a bit strange. And most importantly, both of us have no friends within the industry. Like, <laughs> that's the most important thing at all. No like. vested interest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I trust him. And I know that this is a film that is like considered to be excellent i've never heard a bad word about this movie i've never really? heard anyone say oh the wrestler it makes exposes the business or it makes wrestling look like shit or whatever like i've never heard a single bad thing do you hear people talk about it much because i'll be no. honest i don't i i think in the 
the 10 years or so since I kind of, it was really in my, the forefront of my mind, I don't think I hear people talk about it at all. I don't know if that means, because I've not seen it now since I failed to do a commentary track about <laughs> it, but I don't know if it's aged in any sort of a way. All I'll tell you from my personal experience, and this is why I tell Sam, like, whether or not, like, I think you'll have a good time, whether you enjoy it, I think you're going to absolutely adore it. That's, that's my hot take. Mm. Um, it was a movie that... I was doing a movie review show for Flirt FM and NUI Galway when it came out. And my friend was like, do you know that this the guy who did Requiem for a Dream is like making a movie about wrestling? And we were like, so fucking excited. We were like hopping off the wall. We were like, he's... you know, Oscar campaign for it and shit like that, you know? <laughs> as far as I know, he's very good for doing research into the subject matters that he covers. Like Requiem for a Dream, I remember reading an article that was like, like the editing and the sort of the acting and the 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 writing of the script was very accurate to like the individual drugs that they were all taking. Yeah, I knew a guy who did amphetamines, and he was like, "No, it's a very accurate movie." <laughs> like he was, we were very upfront about that. And Black Swan, I know that's like considered to be very realistic in terms of like I remember the bit where she's wrapping her feet up, and there were being a big thing then about like, "Yes, that's very accurate." <sighs> yeah, God, <laughs> I would be intrigued to you know if you can see any parallels in any of the kind of the other works or, or whatnot. I'm really hoping I. Would Will, because like, Joe, this ain't ballet now. Come uh, on now. Bottom line, this ain't. Yeah, come on. I'm honestly so excited because, like, thinking about it, I can't think of any director I would trust more to do this because wrestling is this weird intersection of like of of movies and dance and performing arts and sports and things like that. And and because Darren Aronofsky has shown that he understands the complex nature of drug addiction, he's mm. not going to demonize anyone or excuse their behavior so it's going to be a more fair shake of the stick than beyond the mat you reckon oh i mean yeah i think so i think it should be both hard-hitting and realistic and sad and true mm. and honest and and i'm i'm just really i'm really excited because like all the films i've seen of his were like really good mm. like just well written really good acting like great direction i'm i'm just really excited to see this like intersect of like you know a film made by someone who's done a film about drugs and a film about ballet yeah wrestling perfect <laughs> yes <ballet> and drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so last thing i want to ask you and it's more kind of a little nugget i want you to carry around in your in your pocket for this movie i'll let you know that there was let's just say intersection or crossover this you know coming out around the time of wrestlemania 25 and the oscars WWE did not ignore this movie, let's just say. And it did, in a sense, make its way into wrestling. Mainstream wrestling, let's just say. I was going to ask you now, like, if you could think how that might be. But I would reckon maybe you should watch the movie and just think, how could this in WWE... Keep in mind, you just watched Survivor Series 2008 with Billy. Like, where does Vladimir Kozlov fit into all of this? You know, <laughs> just, just you know, that's the company you're dealing with. It's a very... It's a PG wrestling company, post-Chris Benoit and all that. Oh, my God. How they will deal with this movie. I mean, f just from your gut instinct, Vince McMahon hears there's a movie with, like, Darren Aronofsky, you know, possibly Oscars, like, highbrow or whatever. Do you think it's going to be fucking bury this thing burn it like make sure it doesn't see the light of day or is it like hey mainstream pal let's embrace it like what would you think vince's gut reaction would be between those i think his gut reaction would be to embrace it because as stupid as vince is he really loves money mm. and i think he'd be able to smell like 
even if he, I don't think Vince is going to know who Darren Aronofsky is. I don't think he's seen Requiem for a Dream or Black Swan or like even heard of them. But I think he'll have someone in his ear going, look, these films made millions of dollars in the cinema. You know, like Black Swan made the subject matter very accessible for people who weren't familiar with it. And I think Vince is smart enough to go, oh, maybe that could happen in wrestling. But I don't trust him, especially in a PG era, especially so soon after Chris Benoit, to cover something that I'm assuming is going to be very dark. I mean, maybe I'm just totally wrong and I'm. this is going to be a happy story of Mickey Rourke, the wrestler, and he becomes world champion yeah. and he's famous and then he retires and he does movies like Hulk Hogan. And he's, right. maybe he's a combination of like The Rock and Hulk Hogan. Or maybe, uh, or maybe on Raw, a, Dar- a guy dressed up like Darren Aronofsky is going to get beaten up by Goldust <laughs> in an Oscars match or something like that. My <laughs> gut feeling about this, as soon as you said, oh, there's going to be some overlap with it impacting the actual wrestling storylines. Yeah, I love to say it, it, it was not ignored by WWE, let's just say, as in that they, they responded in, in, in a sense. That made me, that brought chills to my spine <laughs> when you told me that. But then okay. you said as well yesterday, you were like, I think you'll really like it. I can't imagine this infiltrating WWE storylines in a way that I would like. But I trust you that okay. you know me. So I'm guessing... Yeah, but I like somehow... shit wrestling all the time. Like, we're doing Ken Shamrock next. Like, I do shit all the time in wrestling that you don't like. like you know, There's <laughs> no, no, no guarantee whatsoever. The wrestling community... Look, we're done. We're talking about a movie about at least a slightly older wrestler, or at least not a, a young, young rookie or whatever. How would you think the legends of wrestling would have reacted to this as well. That's something we want you to, to consider in this. Like, Aww. the likes of Brett, Rick, mm-hmm. you know, Macho Man would have been alive when this came out, you know. Really? Oh, God. Yeah, Roddy Piper, Lex Luger. I mean, there's a lot of kind of big... Roddy Piper, of course. He's probably a big... Well, maybe. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if he fits in with my mental image of Mickey Rourke as a wrestler. <laughs> I mean, we, I always find it quite interesting. I think this speaks just to how fucking weird Piper is. That every time you list through like the kind of the, the troubled wrestlers, he almost never comes, never up. comes up. Even no. though if you listen back to that episode, oh, he's one of the most troubled. He, I'd say he's the most like. I would say he's like the most troubled in that. Like obviously Jake had a lot of traumas and whatnot, but in terms of like smaller amounts of traumas, mm. but a much more troubled life. I feel yeah. Piper's got to be. But he's so fucking weird. He's like. so weird, and honestly, I don't like him. Yeah, that much. I, we were very clear about yeah, that. Yeah, I you just, weren't a fan. I, I'm sure he's great, and he has fantastic fans that love him for what he does but it's not my jam at all so i just i never think of him yeah (laughs) Uh, i think i think of owen hart much more favorably but yeah off on the subject of roddy piper yeah i'm not sure what he would have thought he probably would have hated everything because he's roddy piper brett again i think he would be quite judgy and critical of it and probably find all the negatives Mm. and be like well this isn't very realistic and blah 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 but that's brett being brett I imagine people like Triple H and Shawn Michaels being very pro the movie. Really? As in like, yeah, like, oh yeah, some guys have some real demons. Like, you know, some of us just can't handle the Oh, I blah, see. Blah, blah. So you think it may be used by some legends to be, oh yeah, but I'm not like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I'm every, one of the good ones. Everyone else is like yeah. that or whatever. Yeah. Very interesting. We've got a lot of things to consider while the movie's going on we are about to settle in and watch it now any kind of like where are you at are you, you excited i'm so excited i'm oh, i've been so excited for this for ages when you finally told me it was like nearly a year ago you were like right we're going to do the wrestler soon i was like ah, yeah. <laughs> 
yes. And then you're like, but we have to do ready to rumble first. It's like, oh, okay. I am so excited. Yeah. I'm so hopeful. I just, I, my one worry is that my hopes are too high, that my expectations are too high. Right. And that I will be left kind of disappointed that they didn't cover certain things. Like you saying there that he's going to be playing an older wrestler. I won't lie. There was part of me that was hoping we'd get to see the progression from a wrestler from a very young age all the way through their career. Ah, That's something I would love to see done okay. in a film. But, you know, I, I'm just really excited to see it done either way. And did you say it won Oscars or it was nominated for Oscars? Oh, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't say that, uh, okay. uh, whether or not it won. It was, there was nominations for sure, though, yeah. And it is considered prestigious. Oh, yeah. Like, I know this we're is We're not watching trash. We're not watching trash. <laughs> this is considered, like, one of Darren Aronofsky's best films. And he's considered to be one of the better directors. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're going to have a good time. Will I cry? Depends on the, the time of day that is now. If you watch this like Sunday afternoon, maybe there's a maybe. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I, you're you're too excited right now for it, other than tears of joy you're about to start exuding if we don't start. So Do you know the things <laughs> that make me cry? Because like there are certain themes that make me cry more than other things. This movie definitely has the capacity to make you cry. Yeah. Did it make you cry? No, but that being said, when I watched this movie, I was not the kind of guy who cries at movies. Now I'm like fucking... Let's cry, like, yeah. because of me. I fucking love. I I cried during Gravity Falls. Aww. I cried during like all the Marvel movies. Yeah. Now it's cry all the time. It's great, like. Broke down the walls around your heart. I cried yesterday during Zodiac when you kept saying <laughs> Chef John from Foodwishes.com is possibly the Zodiac killer. Oh, so. that reminds me. Um, I did my research. <laughs> Chef John probably isn't the Zodiac killer. Really? He would have been five years old at the time of the first five killings. Okay. So. I'm not saying it's not him. I mean, it still could be him. San Francisco matches the description. Yeah, could oh, be. I'm just saying if Chef John from Foodwishes.com hears this, it was her, not me. Please, I'm not, I'm not involved in this. <laughs> now, just before we move on, because yeah. I know we're going to finish up and watch the movie now, and I'm very, very excited. I want to know what your opinion of this movie is. Obviously, without spoiling anything for me, what was your takeaway when you first watched it as a wrestling fan? I'm pretty sure when it came out for the Flirt FM film review show back in the day, I gave it five stars. Really? And that was me who was quite excited about seeing it, but I'm not going to lie, I was quite apprehensive as well. I was quite I was quite defensive of wrestling at the time because yeah. I felt that like, while there was a lot of problems with WWE, I felt like the wrestlers themselves were being portrayed in a quite a harsh manner, and I felt that the movie... All I say, I was like, as, as 19 or 20 years old, or whatever I knew about wrestling at the time, I was satisfied with its portrayal, and I felt that it did, it did a lot of good. I do remember several instances of watching it since, though, where I was just like you are now, and like slapping the knees, like, like here we go, here we go. Adam can tell you the amount of times that we put this on, like expecting to have a good time, and like every time it would always end us going, "Why do we put this on?" Like, <laughs> I know you told me a story once of like putting this on for like a fun boys' night. Oh, it was me, Adam, and Billy, and we watched <laughs> this, and then Bi we, me and Adam had a pick, and Billy had a pick, and our pick was this, and Billy's pick was fucking was paprika, yeah, really fucking Jesus Christ, it's a trippy anime, folks. Let's just say, <laughs> and we were absolutely zombified at the end. So I've probably not had an enjoyable watching. Oh this in quite a while but i will say a lot of it's been circumstantial okay i have a follow-up question yeah have your parents seen this yes what did they think they really liked it really they did they really liked it i think huh. they kind of they turned away a few bits let's right. just say as in like literally turned away or as in kind of like let's just ignore that kind of like i don't want to see this right, type okay. of thing. i would say 
it was very good viewing for them. That being said, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if they read all of it, but I know my mum picked up my copy of Mick Foley's Have a Nice Day back way back in the day. So I'm not expecting a huge amount of Mick Foley in this character, other than massive injuries. Yeah, so you're not expecting cookies in the bedsheets in this one. Then. Christmas every day. Yeah. <laughs> Final thought now. Wishful thinking again. I really want there to be an evil Vince character. <laughs> I don't think there will be because I think Vince wouldn't use this in his storylines. But I'm, I'm just hoping... think Sinclair from, from, yeah. uh, from the last movie is going to show up. Or Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> well then, we have had a bit of a preamble. We're both very excited. Let's go do a how-to wrestling cinema swirl. Joe, initial gut reactions to The Wrestler. Woof. Woof. Wow. Okay, sorry. Woof. Wow. <laughs> What's the first one mean in context of the... You had a good time? I had a good time, yeah. You know what woof means? Um, I mean, the dog ten, tends to go woof. Uh, fun fact, my first word was woof as a human. Your first word my was first woof. My first word was woof. Apparently mine was... Eclair? Eclair? Wow. Well, that, that, that's just like, as expected, like, yeah. brilliant and all that. Sorry, good time is probably not the way to describe it. No, that's why I use the word woof. Okay. Because to me, woof is the type of word you use when it's like, you need to exclaim something. Right. You felt away. There was a reaction. I see. <laughs> but it wasn't like a strict one emotion. Like, that. this was a complicated mm. ride of... Lots of different feelings. Was it a hard watch? It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be, oh, actually. It was a lot less hard than I worried it would be. I, I found... It's the first friend of mine to ever see it where like, the context was not ruined. Like, we're yeah. like, hey, it's a boys' night. Let's watch... <laughs> it's a Christmas special. That's it. You can see why that was a bad idea, I yes, think, in retrospect. I can see that why that was a bad idea, indeed. It was... It, it was sad at points. It was very dramatic. Mm. But it was actually, it had some really nice light-hearted moments, mm. which I didn't expect. It's a, it is a real, like, strength of the movie that I think, much in the way that I think the Wrestling Road Diaries did mm. with Cole Cabana, in that it fi- really offers you a realistic, I mean, I, I'm not from the country, but like it feels like Midwestern, kind of middle America. This is, like, you know, the, not the big towns. They're not in fucking New York. They're in little towns around New Jersey. It's kind of the heartland of America, Mm. even if you're not exactly right in the middle, it feels like this is the America that most independent wrestlers or most people who are wrestling full-time, the Weekend Warriors and whatnot, this is what you experience. It's a much less glamorous, I guess, look, and much more authentic, but that brings with it that slice of life and all the characters that come with it. Mm. I I was chuckling and had smiles on my face a lot more than I recalled I did while watching this movie. Yeah, and especially seeing as, you know, I was coming into this thinking of the other films that Darren Aronofsky has done. And, I, you know, Black Swan, very dark. There's, yeah. like, no jokes, no laughter in that. Same with Requiem for a Dream. Like, there's maybe a couple of, like, silly moments, but there's no moments that like, actually made me laugh. Yeah. This, I laughed, like, probably five to ten times, which is, like, that's high as far yeah. as, like, I, not many things actually make me laugh. You laughed more during this than you did during our rewatch of Click, which you assured me was excellent. And do you know why I think 
Oh God, I've been so excited to tell you this. I found out when we first sat down to watch this movie, I noticed that it was written by not Darren Aronofsky. So oh, I was like, yeah. I wanted to know who who wrote it, if they're a wrestling fan, if they had any background in the industry. And it was a script that had been kind of floating around mm. a little bit, yeah. So the guy who wrote this movie actually has written one of my other favourite movies, mm. one that we've seen together. Mm. A favourite of mine. Oh yeah. One that I, I, I watched a few times before I met you, but what, then introduced the water to babies, you two. Not the water babies, <laughs> no. A bit more famous than the water babies. Mm. Not necessarily at all similar in subject matter, but definitely a film that has made both of us laugh. Laugh, okay. And it is uh. Turbo. Turbo. Yes. Wow. The racing, how about, how about the that? racing snail. I wonder and what actually... involvement he had in the the Turbo Netflix series that came afterwards. Probably nothing because that wasn't very good. Yeah, I figure. But like, genuine. I love Turbo. I know it sounds like I'm making fun. I love Turbo. It's genuinely a really silly, funny movie, and it actually has a lot of the same themes as the Wrestler. Oh, good lord. It does. <laughs> So I think that's really interesting that he that's that's like the main other movie that he's done that yeah. I, I know of. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Love this. I thought it was, it was great. And I think that's why as well he managed to bring a bit of brevity to this yeah. very serious subject matter. I knew that he wrote for like The Onion stuff like that. But yeah. I'd forgotten that he had, he had written other movies. So that's, <laughs> that's amazing. I was wondering, like, having seen the movie now, having had your own reaction to it, it's something I asked you to kind of keep in your back pocket during the movie was the reaction of the wrestling kind of community as a, as a whole and all that. So I was like wondering, like, in light of seeing the movie, if you have any more thoughts on that, or if I should just tell you what the big wigs and some of the big names that came out with comments and thoughts and hot takes on this were. Hmm. Now, let me say, Vince McMahon, he's seen it. He's seen it? He's seen it. Really? And he rang Darren Aronofsky as soon as he saw it. He saw it in a special preview. What, what do you reckon how that phone call went? That's really difficult Isn't to say. It? Yeah. Because when you said that this was like made into a bit of a storyline in WWE mm. and also the way you said that this was shown to a lot of big names in wrestling. I thought going into this movie because you said about how there's a lot of big names in wrestling that have like seen this and commented on stuff. I thought this would be about a like a big name in like the WWE right. or WCW. Someone like Jerry Lawler, like someone who was a very big name for mm. a big company. I want to say like someone who who did the indie circuits, but that's not what I really mean because this is before the indie circuits were a thing. I mean more like didn't work for WWE. Right, yeah, yeah. And there wasn't any of that, like obviously they can't have the WWE. They sidestep the kind of naming the big companies and things. Yeah, like that. well they have they have a couple of smaller big companies, yeah. but yeah, I, there didn't seem to be any storyline involving him leaving the stardom he was of being long paid. Left. Yeah. yeah. So the question then, uh, uh, let's circle back to yeah. my question, Vince McMahon. What did you think he thought of the movie? Did he give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, somewhere in the middle? I think. He must have liked it or else he wouldn't have done it into a storyline. But I just don't understand how he could have liked it because surely it's nothing like his experience of wrestling. So Darren Aronofsky was, was interviewed about it and he said that he got a call from Vince and they were like really like quite anxious about what he'd think of the movie. Not that it was going to impact the release or anything like it, but I just think that... He's obviously a big name. It's a big yeah. name. And apparently Mickey Rourke, it meant like so much to him because Mickey Rourke had some friends who were in wrestling and stuff like that, being a big Hollywood heartthrob. Is he a wrestling fan? Not in the, the modern sense, but he would have watched wrestling in, in his day and whatnot. Right. And he kind of respected the wrestlers. He did a lot of research for this and all that. But apparently it meant a lot to, to Mickey Rourke. He was very anxious about Vince McMahon giving it the yay or nay. 
And Vince rang him up and he said that he really enjoyed the movie and that it made him like very emotional and he thought that it was like very, very like delicately handled and, and made him think about all sorts of things and all that. And I remember when that came out at the time and like I was one of the crew who was like, fuck off, he didn't his whole say that. Like, no way Vince McMahon would say that. Like, why would Vince McMahon take anything from a movie like this that and when you know you know that Vince McMahon hated Beyond the Match, it's like this yeah. is portraying it bad or whatever. Until it clicked to me that in 2008 and 9 when this movie's coming out and right after the big tragedies that they've had in WWE and the slew of deaths this is very much Vincent Mann could draw a line and say this is what wrestling was right or, the seedy underbelly or the this is what wrestling is outside of the WWE yeah. bubble or whatever and isn't it great now that we provide for our legends and we provide for our, our talent and we have all this testing and we have you know, all, all the help that's available after they leave and, and yada, yada, yada. So in many respects, I think it's almost like, not only Vince watched it and thought, this is great. It's like he watched it with someone who then said to him, you know, this could actually be good for us because this is very much like how we can distance ourselves yeah. from this is what wrestling was and we're not that anymore. And I yeah. think they effectively did that. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I think because there's no, th- there's nothing in there about him working with a big, big company and making loads of money. Like not even a reference to him having historically done. Like obviously they, they, oh, have, no, the, they have the posters, but that's different from like being the champion of like a big company and being closely associated with like the WWE. Well, I, it's, that leads me to some other reactions from other wrestlers. Because okay. Bret Hart, for instance, was someone who came out and he said he thought it was an excellent portrayal of the struggles that some wrestlers go through yeah. or the way that some wrestlers self-destruct and it's very relatable and all that but he had the issue that and Jim Ross had this issue as well where it was like while it's an accurate story for some like Brett's like if you look at those posters at the start like that's me like I made yeah. a Madison Square Garden yeah. I was on the covers and all that and like you know and I had my fair share of woes but like I wasn't living in a fucking van you know he, he Brett said famously like I'm happy to report those of us who main evented Madison Square Garden in the 90s did a little bit better than Randy the Rams lot in life so there were some wrestlers who were like accurate yes but not me <laughs> but like that's obviously not the like that's not the point though isn't it I feel like Brett's missing the point there because mm. of course it's not him he's one of the, the, the special cases of someone yeah like I think you could go through all the people who've main evented at Madison Square Garden it's probably like 5 or 10% of them who like had an actual career following that like it's more to do with luck than I mean I, I, I personally would disagree with, oh, yeah? with that I think main eventing Madison Square Garden particularly in that time frame you think that's a sure way you're going to be successful you wouldn't be doing that unless you're either I mean in the time frame even if it's hypothetical companies the only way you'd be doing that if you're a tip top tip top tip top guy in, in a well to do company so like I'm sure someone's going to come at me now with like someone who main evented the garden that's a piece of shit or something like that but I think the movie took it as being like Madison Square Garden is the mythical home of wrestling, at least as it's viewed in, in, in the North. Right. Uh, or it's viewed on the East Coast or whatever. And I think they viewed that to say that he is a big star. He's got an action figure and he's got a video game. So I think he is meant to be... Like, Ronnie Piper saw this movie and he broke down in tears. He thought it was the most beautiful thing. And really weirdly about Roddy Piper was that he saw the movie and he broke down in tears and he said to Darren Harnofsky, thank you for telling my story. And like, we've talked about Roddy's story and... The most intriguing or most distinct things about Rodney's story nothing are like nothing like this. Because you don't know Rand. This is the thing. It's a snapshot. You don't know Randy's background. You don't know his career. It's a strength of the movie that they mm. don't get bogged down in the politics. Because I don't think most people who don't know about wrestling would be interested to know that. Even though I think it's really interesting. 
in terms of it being made into an angle, how how do you think this could happen? Do you think Mickey Rourke was getting involved? Like, would you have liked it? Would you have liked to see Mickey Rourke involved? Mm, uh, maybe. <laughs> you're the dream booker now, and I'll tell you what happened. But dream book me a scenario where you're working in the wrestler, even the movie, somehow into a WWE storyline. And it's PG as well. <laughs> you know, for all of my armchair booking that I love to do, I'm really struggling to come up with anything that I would like to tie in with this. Yeah. Because, like, as a character, I think he only works within the universe they've created. I don't think he could exist in the wrestling universe that exists. As in, like, using it. the fictional character, like, Randy the Ram's going to come into wrestling, like, as a character. Because that's yeah. what I wanted. <laughs> and I think it doesn't work because... Mickey Rourke is too identifiable a real-life celebrity. That, but also because wrestling... Oh, God, this is so fucking theoretical and complicated. Right, so Mickey Rourke is playing the character of a wrestler who is playing the character of Randy the Ram. Yeah. And then, hypothetically, he, if he was going to be in the WWE, they'd bring Mickey Rourke playing the wrestler who is playing Randy the Ram to play the Randy the Ram in the wrestling universe. Which would have to be different from the regular Randy the Ram yeah, somehow. Yeah, <laughs> because he's not playing... He's not playing Robin, the yeah. character who is Randy the Ram. He's playing Robin playing... Ra- or is he playing Randy? Like, I don't know which version of the character he would be. Are they... Are they ex- like, that would require the WWE to ex- accept that, like, kayfabe is a thing. And, like, yeah. this film is very much, like... I don't want to say it's heavy on the um, exposing the business, but it doesn't try to hide no, any just, of that. There is no attempt to kayfabe no. you. You get to actually see them... Doing cool their and stuff, yeah. But I think they de- the strength of it is that they demystify it quite a lot. Yeah. It's not made out to be like this big fucking complete like black magic or whatever. But also, it's not like it's not just explained like, and this means this, and this means this, and this means this. Like, here's a handy diagram of exactly how to understand the complex nature of the wrestling industry mm. for a complete newcomer. It's put in context, the yeah. terms. So if you're paying attention and you kind of have a bit of common sense, you can probably put two and two together for the most part. But you're making the point, though, that just because of the nature of this movie, the fictional character of Randy the Ram could not appear in wrestling. So, I mean, they obviously arrived at that conclusion. Right. The big idea, the January of this of the year came out, which would have been just three months or so removed from WrestleMania. The rumour was that they were going to do Chris Jericho, who is now a heel, and he was going to wrestle Mickey Rourke at WrestleMania. Mickey Rourke, not Mickey the Rourke. Ram. Mickey Rourke, having portrayed a wrestler, and as we know that Mickey Rourke, you from the movie, we'll talk about it, obviously, when we go through it in detail... But he, he did wrestling training. He yeah. knew a fair few moves. Jericho, veteran in the ring. They had come off a sloth of recent, like the year previous, Floyd Mayweather had done a, a spot at WrestleMania, like they'd trumped the year before. There were a lot of big celebrities. And this was like, well, shit, you're going to have big celebrity taken on Chris Jericho. And then all the, the, then the movie came out, all the reaction happens, and starts getting whispers that Mickey Rourke is going to get nominated for Best Actor, which he did get nominated for Best Actor. And he had Jericho coming out, cutting these promos, saying, like, I hate the wrestler because it glamorizes the likes of Ric Flair, Jimmy Snooker, Roddy Piper, Ricky Steamboat, all these loser legends who just, like, clog up the airwaves and, you know, should get out of the way for the new generation. And then Mickey Rourke's agent says to him, you know, I think if you do this WrestleMania gimmick, you're probably not going to get an Oscar. So then they very, very gracefully, after doing a few weeks of trash talk on things like Larry King and all that, you have Mickey Rourke come out and like, you know, I'm sorry, brother, my blessing was with you. I didn't mean to upset you. I will bow out with this. Now, that then pivoted in the run-up to WrestleMania of Jericho 
taking on three legends in a three-on-one handicap elimination match with Ric Flair in their corner and Mickey Rourke sitting 25 rows in front of me. So... What? <laughs> yeah, Mickey Rourke was the invited guest in the audience. Wow. So, yeah, he was there. And here's the thing I think you'll really love. The first legend that he took on was Roddy Piper, who was old and out of shape and it was kind of sad and he, you know, wasn't great. The second legend he took on was Jimmy Superfly Snooker, who was old, out of shape and wanted for murder. So again, not very mm. fun. The third legend that he took on, making his return to the ring for the first time in like 20 years and it was his second to last match ever, fucking Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came out of retirement. Oh, wow. And I got to see Silver Fox Ricky the Dragon Steamboat realise he can still go. Oh. And he was doing fucking leapfrogs and drop downs. And it was, and I was like, fuck Mickey Rourke, fucking Ricky Steamboat, yay! And then a bit in the end then where he, Jericho beat all the legends and Mickey Rourke came in, knocked out Jericho and fractured his hand in the process. So, you know. Oh my God. And Mickey Rourke didn't get his Oscar and Marissa Tomei didn't get her Oscar either. So it goes as one of the weirdest crossovers in wrestling ever in that they kind of said yes, but no, and then kind of yes. And then I feel a lot of people regretted it. Jericho says Mickey Rourke was a pain to deal with. So there you go. In what way? <laughs> He's just a big Hollywood super shot celebrity, you know, who uh, who didn't kind of understand. You know, same gripe that Roddy Piper had about Mr. T. Right. He doesn't understand yeah. this business. Does that... <laughs> Is that odd to you that that is how he unfolded his involvement in the world of actual wrestling? I'm not surprised. I just wish they hadn't... That doesn't sound like... I mean, maybe I need to see it, but that doesn't sound that great to me. I mean, this is the definition of... We went for a meal and we had the most amazing dessert ever. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I hadn't had it in 20 years. It was so good. The chef did it such justice. But I had to eat a really, really horrible starter. And the main course is wanted for murder as well. And and it just kind of felt a bit weird. In hindsight, we should have just come here for the dessert i can't call it a great meal in good conscience <laughs> when one of the elements is wanted for murder so yeah i think the only person who came out with persistent negativity about it was jim Cornette, and his, his what, a what a surprise and he thrashed about kind of saying it didn't he didn't like that wrestlers are being portrayed as losers because you know he kind of he would have been much more contact with not the bret hearts the kind of the lower down the card guys who maybe would have been in the situation that randy was mm. and he kind of was like look you can be in that situation and have a bit of dignity and you know, not be a fucking loser. Like, you can work the weekend shows and do your sign-ins and, like, not be made out to be... I think he thought that, like, Randy the Ram being portrayed sympathetically was actually Randy the Ram being portrayed as a loser. And a lot oh, of wrestlers yeah. were very, very scared about that. Like, I'm not a loser. That's so interesting. And, you know, I, I was just about to say that because I know we mentioned it on the, the Jake St. Roberts episode as how I felt that Beyond the Map made him come across very sympathetically. Mm. And a lot of the the wrestlers they interviewed said he seemed pathetic. And again, you saying here that like, oh, not all wrestlers are losers. I did not come out of this thinking. No one's calling them losers. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Di- I didn't come out of this thinking he's a loser. I came out of it thinking, what a complicated man. Well written. It's like just a great story. I don't. I didn't yeah. come out of it thinking, ha ha, losers what everywhere. F- what a bunch of losers. <laughs> That's your main takeaway from it. Uh, My okay, God. priorities. So like, I I do think though with Cordette, and you could say as many ways, and of course, you know. I'm not saying to listen to Jim Cornette remotely in recent... And this is, you know, from, from 10 years ago, his comments. But I remember, like, just hearing him talk about it and being like, you can't hide the fact to me, a wrestling fan, that I know very much some of the reasons you're really upset, Jim Cornette, is just how casually they break kayfabe in this. Like, mm. in, in that they're, they're not even... There's not like a, hey, here's a secret. They're not even telling you it's secret. It's just, no. here is wrestling. This is how it works. Because, like, I, just a 
simple difference between me and Cornette. Yeah. I think that's the exact perfect way to do it. Yeah. But like, I think honestly, he would have he would have had issue with it regardless because it's it's a big famous thing in the mainstream, and Jim Cornette fucking wants to be the Simon Cowell, the Gordon Ramsay of the wrestling industry so bad. He wants yeah. to be like, oh. I, I think his heart wasn't like in some respect I think he does have a bit of empathy for a lot of you because you know I know there's a lot of people who he's close with throughout the years who were kind of you know dead yeah. their luck and all that why is he calling them all losers then <laughs> he's, he's not I think he's worried about the perception of that but the reality is the only people who are having the perception are people in wrestling like, yeah you know and I think the Jake episode was very eye-opening because you know you imagine Jake Roberts watching this even today I think he'd be very you know guard up like you know I'm not this no way this wasn't me no mm. way you know and even though I think is it safe to say having watched Beyond the Math that there's a lot taken from Jake would I would just actually ask you now, having seen the movie, how accurate did you think your characterization about the inspiration for Andy the Ram was? It wasn't as much or as direct as I thought it would be. Mm. I thought they would go a lot further with the individual references to people in wrestling. Mm. But I I'm actually glad in hindsight that they didn't do that because I think I think that would have made things just too complicated. I think if you're going yeah. into real life stories, um, it's just too personal. And I think the story that this is about is relatable enough in lots of different industries. Like yeah. I think it, it's, you know, it's like, I know someone compared this to Raging Bull. Mm, you know, yes, there's lots yes, of other sports yeah. boxing movies that you could compare this to. The idea of like the older athlete who's like just gone past but his time. And... Yeah, you know, parts, I mean, there were so many points in the movie like where you were pointing on that is so like, you know, it was Macho Man or Ric yeah. Flair. Like there was a lots of names that were coming up. But like, nothing in like, I think if I, you know, if I've been watching wrestling for about a year, I don't think I'd have gotten any of that. Yeah, like it's not so over. It's not like Hulk Hogan or no. Steve Austin being like three sixty. Blah, blah, there's, there's people who are like kind of oh, it's just basically like the Jake Roberts bits from Beyond the Mat. I'm like no. seriously, do you think Jake Roberts ever dyed his fucking hair? No. Do you think he ever like no. you know? There is a part about him being a body guy in this that yeah. I think you don't get with it being Jake Roberts. It is an amalgamation for sure. There are definitely bits of Jake in there, but not the bits I thought there would be. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like, just front end it with like all the things that I thought about would like Jake and weren't like Jake. But I will say off the bat, although drugs and alcohol are mentioned... It's a much different style. Of yeah, use. it's not what I expected if they were going to comment on Jake's life. Yeah. Now we start things off with... A really beautiful montage, and I think it's one of my favourite openings to a movie ever. I love subtle photo manipulation and all that. And just think Mickey Rourke, who just, look, you got, you got to say, Mickey Rourke has got a face and a physique and such perfect casting because he's someone who's a former fighter in real life. He had, you know, car accidents. He's had, you know, reconstructive surgery. Hey, reconstructive surgery, pals. <laughs> but, like, to actually, you know, dial it back and make him look like, you know, the handsome young man in the 80s. And he was the heartthrob, obviously, back in his day. And... You know, me and my friend who were big into wrestling, we were so apprehensive about the movie. Literally, we were watching this going, it's the fucking Aftermags, yeah! Like, and we are like, it, this is going to be great. Like, there's no way you can do this and have that music and it not be a great representation of wrestling. Counterpoint. Yeah. Do you remember the first minute of Ready to ah, Rumble? yes. <laughs> it's actually exactly shockingly the like same. it. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, at the end of this, you can zoom out. And then it's the David Arquette going, and the greatest wrestler of them all is Randy the Ram. And he's, he's going to be headlining Nitro tonight. <laughs> what do you think Oliver Platt would have made of this movie? <laughs> The soundtrack, absolutely fucking fantastic. I love this. As soon as I saw Clint Mansell did the score, I was absolutely over the moon. I Ever since I first saw Requiem for a Dream, I've been so into his yeah. his scoring. 
And fun fact for listeners at home who may be aware that I did a GCSE in dance. I think we've brought this up before on the episodes. Well, I had to do a group choreography where I had to bring in like a bunch of dancers and like I had to create a dance for them to do and perform for my exam. And I did it to a track of Clint Mansell's. So I'm really happy that he's doing the music in this. So it's it was great. a bunch of like kids dressed up as sad wrestlers to do And then you end with Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> Perfect. A. <laughs> How'd you get on that exam then? Good. I got yeah. an A. Hey, good job. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a reason Darren Aronofsky used the guy. Good music, right? Yeah. <laughs> we cut to 20 years later from the glamour of the magazine's to a man who you see his back a lot more than you see his face in the movie. Mm. And he's stiffed on pay from, you know, small indie show. And it's just, you know, you, everyone everyone seems to, if you watch a wrestling shoot interview or anything like that, you, you know the guy the big hockey top who's coming in is like, yeah, sorry, what's the biggest gate as I thought? But hey, next month, Sacramento, right? We're doing it again. Just that weird relationship between promoter and former big top star legend mm. i mean that's something that could have been explored a lot because those are the most interesting stories and in terms of how to handle talent i think oh you know i think i think that's a little overdone yeah i don't know i just feel that's the, maybe not maybe i'm just like that just doesn't interest me as much well but... i when i still get the paycheck i was like well if the rams are getting stiffed on his paycheck yeah. there's like two or three lads who aren't getting paid at oh all. yeah like, obviously you know? yeah so was the promoter supposed to be Vince Russo? Because he looked exactly like Vince Russo and sounded exactly like Vince Russo. No, it's Russo. just, what's his face? Um, he's your man from 30 Rock. Yeah. Noted big wrestling fan. Um, just happens to look and sound exactly like Vince uh, Russo. I don't know, he was going for like the particular, he was meant to be in Jersey, so I think there was a little bit of the Jersey drawl there. Yeah. You know, I, and, you know look, Russo loved a hockey top and he, he popularised him in the 2000s in his world championship run. What can we say? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, a slow start as you just kind of follow this guy and kind of just immediately know the sense of his life is not where it should be. Yeah, he starts off, we see him get stiffed by the promoter in a school gym. That's where he is. He's yeah. just like, you, you can see he's in a classroom somewhere. There's like kids' drawings on the walls. And he wanders through the corridors and he, he makes his way to the ring and you see like a bunch of guys just like naked getting changed by the ring like people disassembling the ring very unglamorous up. like very unglamorous it's not even yeah. behind the curtain there is no curtain no, like. no <laughs> curtain yeah absolutely you see him like locked out of his trailer you see that you know he's not even able to make basic ends meet sleeping in the van with the box full of like gimmicks and he's got the the pain you don't know what he's got in there he's, he's got maybe some sort of like steroids some painkillers big can of beer like it's it's less like a party time and more of like a coping mechanism like staring at the the montage on the on the wall of all of his kind of glory moments mm. and i would say that is probably like i imagine there's a lot of wrestlers who have found themselves in similar situations but I would struggle to think of someone who is... I think to Brett's point, I did think about this a lot in the movie. I would struggle to think of someone who had reached those heights who was currently experiencing or had experienced that level of low. Mm. You know, as in fucking homeless. Like, you know, I think of no. Scott Hall and Jake Roberts and like they still had a house and yeah. they still had money to do drugs and such like that. I mean, I like to think that there's still time for Hulk Hogan to become homeless. <laughs> and like Hogan I, in a van with no, a big bottle of Four yeah, Loco. Like, you know, he's got that room full of just Hogan stuff. Yeah. Like all his championships and merchandise. Like I want him living in a van 
in a car park somewhere behind a Wendy's and he just sits in his van and it's full of his Hulk Hogan merchandise and he cries himself uh, to sleep. Alternatively, Jerry Lawler with a big thing of, of Coca-Cola that he's drinking like, you know, in his van. Although Jerry already has a van. We already oh. know that. So it's true. It's true. <laughs> this was like the moment where I was like, uh-oh, I'm not sure if this movie's going to be a good time because you were like, oh, Jesus. Like literally looking at him, looking at the wall. You're like, ah, oh, Jesus. And then we cut to like the morning and all the kids. And he's like, where? Chooks. It was as heartwarming as Trailer Park Boys having been as heartbreaking (laughs) as Trailer Park Boys in the previous scene. It was it was very, very good. Yeah, he gets on really well with the kids. They obviously love him. He's very at ease with that. Like he seems more at ease with the children than he does with like pretty much anyone else in this whole movie. Yeah, and I don't know if that reminds me of Jake the Snake. That reminds me of like Cole Cabana or Joey Ledger, someone who like, you know. Is at the gimmick tables and knows how to interact with the the families and all that. We mentioned Jake Roberts coming out like, who woke me? The very man who woke me will find himself in an eternity of sleep. And the kids like, sorry, it was me. He doesn't have to give him the DDT. He just raises an eyebrow and all the kids go, and run away. I do imagine that Roddy Piper is good with kids. Was good with kids. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, definitely. He just seems like the right amount of like, because like Ric Flair is that amount of chaos, but I don't think... (laughs) I don't think he likes children. Whereas I can imagine Roddy loving the children's attention and just being like, yeah, yeah, playing with them. I imagine that. I imagine Roddy putting a few children in the sleeper home. Yeah, like. definitely. <laughs> Did you notice who his landlord was? You freaked out. And I, was, I didn't have the heart to tell you that like... like you don't see his face. Many people in many <laughs> shots in this movie are deliberately from like far away away. And look, this isn't... Even when I'm doing a film review podcast, I'm ill-equipped to talk about such things. But I got the sense that it's meant to be almost like the voyeurism of us as wrestling fans watching and finding out about wrestlers' lives. Yeah. You know, you know we've watched people like Jake Roberts or Coco Beware or Jim Neidhart have, you know, hard times from a distance peering through and you know, seeing him have to go to his super to get his, you know, the locks put back on his doors. Yeah. And you only see it from like, like really zoomed out. You don't make it, you can barely hear them. I think that's on purpose. I don't know if it's meant to be like a voyeurism thing or just kind of to give you a disconnect or whatever. But was it Hector Salamanca? Yes. It was! God it damn! Was. And yeah, I think the the thing from the distance I think is definitely on purpose. I don't know if it's the reason that you said. Mm. I think it's probably multiple reasons. Personally, I interpreted it as to be like... You know when you meet someone really powerful and cool and then you see them in a situation which makes them uncomfortable or embarrassed and suddenly you realise how old and vulnerable they are. I was like the time I saw my brother eat a burger on his own at McDonald's I was never able to look in the same way. And it's almost like suddenly you're out of your body looking at them Ah. and it's like really kind of like a jarring like you suddenly realise how small they are and how vulnerable they are and I think that's like seeing him do these little mundane moments like talking to his landlord who owns his trailer like that's such an unglamorous yet very personal Mm. moment so I think seeing it from very far away shows that it's like you know this massive megastar with this fantastic body and super career and it's like here he is paying his measly bills for his trailer and he's off to pay the bills at a little indie show. This is again like something I thought I was gonna see Luke Gallows come in with a massive bruise on a on a wheelchair and start talking about Paruti. This was a authentically tiny show, WXW, and it was the best thing that this movie has done is that the research that's went in is so, so thorough. And we're not just like going in going like, hey WB, you tell us what wrestling is and how it fits in your brand guidelines. 
we're going to the tiny, the real wrestling shows. You know, this is what actually is the lifeblood of wrestling. And I thought them using like Ring of Honor as well later on as like a smaller company. So you got to see the head of the more pro athletes and the people that you see here who are just kind of like, you know, the weekend warrior, like most of them just regular guys and girls who've got a job who just do a little bit of rest at the weekend. And the size and shape and variety of people. Heck, I want to go see one of these shows. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> Brit Rez could learn a few things. Fewer men in beards and nonces on the shows in future, please. They all look the same. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we've got a very realistic changing room. Everyone kind of huddled together. Very realistic changing room talk, though, most of all. like Love Lots it. of wrestling terms. like Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> um, I think I say that so many yeah. times where I cover matches and it's literally like, he comes in, gets the heat, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, loads of like that. And I think just enough that like, obviously I know a lot of wrestling terms, but not all of them. I mm. was able to keep up with 60% of what they were saying. Okay. So I like that because obviously for someone like your parents or, or someone who doesn't watch wrestling, they'd go in and just go, wow, it's got this whole hidden language yeah. that I didn't know about. And then like wrestling fans go, awesome, they've actually done the research. They're talking about things that make sense. And not only talking about it in ways that make sense, but it's like, it's it's as if they already had a show, which is what they did with all mm. this. Like they had shows anyway, the film crew would show up. Wow. And like a lot of the lines from the wrestlers are like, I think they're semi-improv wow. because it's literally just like, you know, what would you do if this big legend walks up to you? Like, how would you talk to them type of thing? Or if you pat them on the back or all that. And all the chat between the wrestlers is so fucking exactly like fly on the wall. <laughs> it really, I love as well. The, the veteran younger guy dynamic. Oh, it's when, so funny. Yeah, there's like yeah. goth punk with a mohawk. He looks really scary and like T- intense. Tommy, Tommy Rotten, his name was. He comes up to Randy and uh, he's like, oh, I'm really excited to work with you, man. You're a legend. You know, I, I love your stuff. I think you're great. He's like so polite and nice. Yeah. And then you see them fighting their match afterwards and it's like he's playing this proper nasty heel. And I love I love the subtle thing though where he's like, I've got, I've got these I've got this idea, these great yeah. ideas. And he's like, Are you sure, man? What's your idea? And he's like, I, I, I thought maybe I could like low blow you for the cheap. And, and then he goes, Yeah, man, that's great. Super kick, Ram Gem, we're out of here. And he's like, he's just like, he's, he's done the match for you, the yeah. hell out, you know. And then the great advice for all young wrestlers: remember, man, it's the politics, kettle X. Those are the people who uh, who make it in this business. Like, all right, don't bother then. Checked up on Tommy Rotten to see how he was doing. He is a very, 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 very giant man now. Really? He's, he's a former wrestler turned bodybuilder. Whoa. And he is fucking huge. Oh my God. You have to show me a picture of him afterwards. Yeah, I was quite taken aback. Let's yeah, just he's say. quite small in this. I liked the bit as well that came next, which was him preparing for the match that he's going to be in with Rotten where he brings out a razor blade. Ah, and yes. This answered a question I have had for a very long time. Because I remember you from very early memories of House Wrestling when you found out that wrestlers literally did that mm. with an actual razor mm. blade. I think we had to cut out around 10 to 15 minutes and you just be like, no, I simply do not believe you. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I never understood was like, razor blades, they're quite big. Mm. And I know wrestlers generally are quite big, but I always just thought like, how do you hide something so big and so sharp? That just seemed really risky. And now I see how they do it. So he folded it in half, because of course razor blades are very thin, yeah. they're quite bendy, and then he he chopped it in half with scissors. So it's it's half the size, it's one nice and thin, but still got the length of the blade, but it means that you can like put it down his wrist without it like cutting anything on yeah. either side. Because that's the thing I didn't understand, it's like how, how that seems so dangerous, like just taping a whole razor blade to his wrist. And then we see him blade in the match, 
and it looks like he did it for real. Like it looks mm. so real. I'm actually. Oh no, he did do it for real. He did do it for real because it really looks like. Yeah. Look, we should say it from the outset, and this is something that there was a lot of speculation about when the movie was coming out, particularly because Mickey York was not just known as being like an older actor, but known as an older actor who had had a lot of like bodily trauma. Let's just yeah. say former boxer and all that. But he did all he he learned how to wrestle. He took the bumps that you see in the movie. He did the moves that you see in the movie. Did he do the blading? That's the thing. Did, like, I'm pretty sure he did, he did the blading. Because yeah, I don't know how they fake that. Like, that looks he, most realistic. Uh, I've ever seen in any movie any, ever. This is like was a huge comeback movie for him. You know, this obviously along with like Sin City and stuff like that. But like this was like he took this so fucking seriously, and he's yeah. one of those like actors who, if you're coming into the into the world, nothing but respect for for it and the process and all that. Probably helps that he's from the boxing background. He gets I, it. <laughs> I think that's probably the reason why he rubbed someone like Jericho the wrong way. Is because yeah. having done this movie, I think he reckoned like I, I've got a good school in here and rested, which. You know, this, this you know, I, I'd be happy to go see this indie show. You know, the simple action, you know, the the real crowd pleasing stuff. And I think they did it in a way where like even if you didn't watch wrestling, you could just see why the crowd were enjoying it. Like the bit after he blades and then like you know, he tries to slam him into the corner and he doesn't you know the hulking up. Like it's a lot of what he does is very stereotypical wrestling. Yes. You know. But him as a character, I think he's quite unique because some of the moves and things that he does, he's a little bit more like Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage than anything else. Definitely lots of Randy Savage in the wrestling style, which I did not expect from Mickey Rourke. Yeah, and I think it kind of, it plays with those kind of, those notions. There's so much here that you can see as well that if you already know a little bit about wrestling, but like, for instance, when he gets knocked into the turnbuckle to blade himself... The first thing that Tommy Rotten does to distract the audience is he throws the referee out of the yeah. ring. And it's like, there's so many little things like that where they're not like, I'm distracted. You know, you, you could just watch this and not really take that in. But there's so many layers in here. Mm. And I wonder like how many like young aspiring would-be wrestling trainees start watching this movie as kind of like a, a baseline of... <laughs> yeah, genuinely, I think it would be a great place to start. Yeah. And just on the, the fact that Mickey Rourke does the wrestling for real, he's fantastic. He's so good. Like, obviously, he's not, like, a professional wrestler who in his prime, but he is really good the at... The facials. The facials. The fact that, like... Like he does a backflip at one point. Yeah. Like the way he jumps off the top rope. Like that's the th- his, his main um, signature move is him jumping off the top rope with Ram his elbow. Jam. Yeah. Again, very Randy Savage. I love he's got like they've really thought about this character. Yeah. And, and as, as two people who've designed a wrestler yeah. for, for broadcast television on on Channel Four is man down. We know how to design a wrestler from the ground up and like. He's got it all. He's got the taunt, the big elbow pads. Yeah, He's the ram, you know? The taunt that's like elbow based. And then the, at the very beginning of the movie, you see him You see him look at his elbows, though it's a bit sore. Yeah. Like almost he's got like historic pain there. Because he's been doing the fucking yeah. elbow for his whole career. I yeah. thought that was going to be a big part of the movie that like, oh, it's, his elbow's going to betray him. He's not going to be able to do his signature move. And it wasn't that, which I really like. It was much more subtle than that. That would have been too obvious, I think. His body is noticeably like he's got scars on his face all over his body long before he gets scarred again in the movie and i think that was a really important thing that i feel the movie did a good job of showing that there's just this baseline level of pain that is just standard for for wrestlers yeah you know it's like terry funk like almost he mentions at one point that it hurts just to breathe yeah he's got a clavicle that's caved in and that's if I remember Brett had that injury as well so when he got thrown into the barricade and he's like it's the scariest thing ever because when it happened he felt like he was gonna like fucking suffocate pretty much oh my 
god. So yeah, he hits the ram jam. Beautiful maneuver, the the diving headbutt. And of course, Randy's finishing move has to be a move that is now come out to be like incredibly problematic. The the diving headbutt, which is considered to be like one of the reasons why Daniel Bryan struggled with with concussion issues. Oh no, Chris Benoit, uh, Harley Race, who invented it. Literally, when I'm in his final years, he was like, if I could change one thing about my wrestling career, I wouldn't have invented the flying headbutt. Oh. Uh, Dynamite Kid as well, you know, another famous wrestler did that. If you did the diving headbutt for your entire career, it tends to catch up with you, let's just say. Oh, that's really sad. But yeah, the, the fucking, that's the thing as well. Like Randy the Ram, you know, he can't go out there and pop on a sleeper or do a bear hug or whatever. He has to go to the top rope do the fucking macho man spryness. Yeah, and you see, like, the first time he does it, you see him kind of struggle a little bit. The legs bit. shake a little bit, Just the yeah. way that, like, when you're watching an actual match with a veteran, the way their legs do shake yeah. a little bit. Like, you, you have faith they're going to do the move, but it's just like, ah, uh, it's a little bit scary. And not, no second rope for, for Randy. He's top no, rope. Like. top rope, yeah. And he's a really interesting mix of, like, a wrestler who's obviously been caught up in his own bullshit a little bit in that... There are wrestlers who are kind of like, look, this is a job at the end of the day and, you know, take my hat off and I'm no longer that guy. But Randy, like, the emotions he feels in wrestling and the value he gets from wrestling, it's, that's the only value that he gets in his life. And I think that's one of the most tragic things about him and a lot of the wrestlers who've fallen kind of out of public view and whatnot. That, that I would say, is one of the two main things of this movie that really made me think of Jake, the mm. Snake Roberts. In that Jake always said that like wrestling was the one thing that like was consistently bringing him joy that yeah. he could always rely on that he felt safe in, and yeah, Randy mentions that a couple of times in this movie that like wrestling is for him his like his his nice happy safe space. Coming up to the twenty year anniversary of Wrestle Jam three, which I assume is meant to be an analogy for WrestleMania three, just because of the number three. But he fought the Ayatollah, the Beast from the East, not to be confused with Bam Bam Bigelow, played by Ernest the Cat Miller. And that's something that's set up for later on in the movie. They're going to be doing a show with Ring of Honor later on. Just to kind of clear it up, because you were a bit confused as to why a character like Randy the Ram would be used in, like, Ring of Honor, which is, like, kind of a more modern-style yeah. product. So I think what they were trying to do, and they actually did do this. I saw Ring of Honor, it would have been at this exact time when I saw it, when the movie had just come out. And they were doing a few things where they're like they bring out a legend or whatever just to kind of say like hey ring of honor we respect legends here so like i think when i was there they brought out one of the bushwhackers okay so when i I saw ring of honor in texas that one of the the bushwhacker luke came out like licked cesaro's head or whatever it was so they were like kind of i think the idea was that they were meant to be like look we're not saying this is the standard of wrestling but we as a company respect those that came before us and we'll give them a platform for the fans so it's meant to be like kind of like a respect type of thing i think the reality is that ring of honor had just gotten hd cameras right they were just big enough but also just small enough it was a good fit they had a bunch of wrestlers who wanted to probably get some tv experience yeah i mean there's a lot of people who you know who speak very highly of their time on this movie we'll we'll get into that in a little (laughs) bit we go to the strip club cheeks where he meets a bouncer who could have been a wrestler. Big man, painkiller addiction. You know, I mean, sounds like he could have had a good run up top in in New York. (laughs) And we get introduced to Cassidy, who is the main female lead, played by the excellent Marissa Tomei. I wondered what your thoughts were on the character, Marissa Tomei's performance. She plays a stripper who, you don't know her exact age, but you know that she's kind of maybe getting on in years in the same way that randy is getting on in years for their respective industries yeah when you 
before you meet her you you hear her first and she's kind of flirting with a bunch of customers and the customers are teasing her for being too old and then randy comes in and kind of like kind of hustles them a bit and it's like kind of get, yeah get, get out of here like don't say that to this nice lady like he obviously knows her quite well and they have a really good chemistry together i thought she was great marissa tomei is so good but like mickey is so good as well and like that's but the main takeaway I got from this was was their chemistry. Mm. Just like considering that's so hard to fake. And Mickey Rourke is not... I, I've actually not seen Mickey Rourke in much other than Sin City. And I thought he was shit in that. But I hate Sin City. Yeah, I think yeah. it's an awful movie. So I kind of unfairly thought he was not a very good actor. I thought he could play this character because he is it's this for character. Him, right? Yeah. But he does it. He does a lot of heavy emotional yeah. lifting in here. The stuff with Marissa Tomei, I think, is actually some of my favourite bits in the whole movie. He was so... Like... The, the emotions he was able to bring both of them both of them yeah as well had this thing where they didn't want to show any vulnerability no. and again that it, much like we were talking about it, with the reaction of the wrestlers it's so funny how and I think there are a lot of analogies between the two industries or whatever that they're trying to draw here but that kind of this the vulnerability of like no not me I'm not no I'm I'm not like a loser I'm not like hard down on my look or anything like yeah. that and even though they both clearly are screaming out for someone just to be like it's okay it's all right mm. for her to play such an emotionally complicated character and also one that kind of is his kind of dream girl in the really standard sense and that she's fucking she's beautiful she's hot as hell she's funny they've got she's same this, interests yeah she's this funny like stripper lady who loves the 80s like but also she is clearly this very loving big-hearted person who probably could you know robin and pam could get on very well together and probably like have a very happy life pam that's her real name cassidy oh, yeah. is her stripper name right, you know yeah. so she she again she had they i think it's a little heavy-handed that they're trying to draw like there's sometimes where it's subtle and there's other times where it's like back-to-back scenes of like she has to do this like he had to do that yeah i would say a lot of wrestlers didn't pick up on the analogy <laughs> but like hey you're selling your body yeah you are that is kind of that is the big analogy there and yeah. it's it's a fair one i think no i think it's very very fair mm. and i actually didn't pick up on it as much as you say it's really obvious and it's like, it didn't even really occur to me how obvious it was until you just said it there well, i've done two shit podcasts about it before <laughs> so i've got a lot of experience like, <laughs> one of the main takeaways i had was like going into this i thought marissa tomei's character would be kind of a side piece you know did yeah. you think she'd be a female wrestler were you hoping that I was not hoping she was a female wrestler. Okay. I, I wasn't really hoping anything in particular because I I didn't want to think about her character too much and get disappointed. Mm. Honestly, I, I really thought, seeing as she was introduced in the strip club, I thought she'd just be this sort of side character love interest. You don't really get to see her talk much. She's just there to be kind of titillating. And that is not the case mm. at all. You really follow her story almost as much as you follow Randy's. Yeah, and it's... It's just a fucking powerhouse performance. Like, you know, it's it's a real vulnerable... The real vulnerable thing that she does in this. And, yeah, I think... I, I don't know if there's any way you can discuss about how she looks fucking incredible, like, as well. But it's just... Not many people, I'm sure, would be queuing up to take off all their clothes and play an emotionally damaged stripper. It's it's not the obvious role. And she fucking nailed it it's yeah, so goddamn good absolutely she's she's so good so randy comes in to cause a ruckus with the customers and she ends up giving him a lap dance you get the feeling that this is like an ongoing thing that they have where it's kind of like 
it's under the pretense of a lap dance, but I think they both just want to talk to someone. He's there, yeah. like, telling her about wrestling matches, you know. There's something about the sight of a woman, like, doing, like, a full, like, crotch bend in front of him, and he's like, yeah, man, Pontiac Silverdome, there was 93,000 people there. It's, it, it really humanized him in a way that it made him seem out to be, like, he's just kind of a little bit of a, he loves wrestling, and that's his thing. Yeah. Just, you know, he, there's not a whole lot to him in some respects, it feels like. I thought that was like one oh god yeah that was like really good writing I thought him him only being able to open up to her because he's paying her money mm-hmm. and he knows like that's a very I think I should take a few steps back I think in the wrestling community a lot of us are socially awkward hey and yeah <laughs> I think a lot of us don't know where certain boundaries lie mm. and I think wrestling especially is like quite bad for that because we don't know where the line is between like real life and fiction yeah and I think for someone like him, Randy, having a relationship with someone who he is paying is both comforting and reassuring, but also like making things more complicated. Right, yeah. Because he knows he's paying her. That's a transaction. It means that he's kind of like owed her time and attention for for a while anyway, because but he probably doesn't think he has anything to offer her. You can already tell, though, that he thinks he's not just another customer, though. He, you know. No, but he also knows who he is because mm. like it's not like she's asking him for money he's paying her without being prompted to he he understands why she's there yeah he just hopes i think that someday something more will come from this but he doesn't know how to do it and i think he knows the line between customer and stripper is quite a clear one and oh it's very complicated and you know what else is complicated the line between wrestler and fan yeah very very true I think that's interesting they managed to kind of tell that story without it being about a wrestler and a fan because I mean there's no one who's a bigger mark for Randy the Ram than Randy the Ram yeah. I think that's definitely a huge huge part of a lot of wrestlers who have that kind of self-destructive cycle I always think of like, the amount of wrestlers now who clearly don't have any association with her character other than it is a performance yeah. and I, do, I don't I don't see Adam Cole when he's in his 60s being like you, you know all fucked up about the undisputed era you know I just don't see that no. I imagine him and Britt Baker relaxing by a lake with excellent teeth <laughs> big big drug deal going down here now yeah he's buying pills from the changing room dealer he's got all sorts on yeah growth hormone but don't worry he's not taking any of that Chinese shit he's got Basically, as many pills, and the guy speaks like a fucking auctioneer here, but he's got as many pills to deal with the side effects of what he's taken because he's taking things like testosterone and growth hormone, which is going to give him breasts and things like that. I don't know if you heard, like, he has to take special stuff. Yeah, he runs it off pretty fast, yeah. but yeah, he, he you start off thinking Randy's going to buy one thing. And then you think he's going to buy another thing. And you think maybe he'll buy several things. And then it gets to the end of this kind of spiel and you realise, oh no, he's buying all of these things because he has to. They all work together. This is part of the... This is the upkeep and maintenance. Yeah. This is the cost of the business of being a wrestler. But like, even here. just one of the groups of pills is like, that's scary with all those side effects. But the second group is like, even scarier. And then you realise he's taking all of these and he's fucking going to kill him. And he looks so scared. Yeah, I... I... <sighs> There is, and like when he's working out in the gym, and he's literally like, he's miserable. Yeah, he, he's in agony. And I always remember like hearing interviews with like Bruno Sammartino, who still looked like he was made out of fucking bricks when he was like eighty something when he died. And he was like, once you hit fifty five, that's it. You can only maintain what you have. At best case scenario, you'll be able to maintain like 80% of what you have. Yeah, your muscles will atrophy and they will go away. You can go to the gym for a thousand hours and nothing will happen. Yeah, other than you will cause yourself pain. Mm. So it's like. The expectation management, and that's so weird with wrestlers. It's, I think it's why they push themselves in this generation did a lot. Was that 
as what they were known for, their body started to dwindle down. They tried to kind of stack it on more, more pills, more weights. Yeah. And that's the point when the body is saying like, if you could ever have done this, which you shouldn't have, mm. now's not the fucking time. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> now's the time to be doing the opposite of that. Slim down, get good cardio, eat healthy, get a good night's sleep. Love them in the dollar store shopping for, for weapons. I can't tell you the amount of times me and Adam Biblo were in like a Wilco or something, picking yeah. up random things going, Oh, <laughs> doing little uh, gimmick shots with the frying pans and all that. You know? <laughs> did you ever test out on the shopkeeper like they did? <laughs> no, and the shopkeeper seemed game for a laugh. Joe. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> of course, you got to go do some dollar store shopping because he's headlining CZW Combat Zone Wrestling, which has appeared on previous episodes of this podcast. Uh, do you recall any particular moments where we headed to CZW? Well, it's Deathmatch Wrestling, yeah. so. Jimmy Havoc and John Moxley. Yeah. I don't know if it turned up in Terry Funk or if I just expected it to. Don't think it turned up in Terry no. Funk. Although I think we did mention how Terry kept wrestling in, in places like that. Yeah. Well <laughs> into his 70s and, and, and beyond. We meet one of the all-time characters in wrestling, someone who I became quite obsessed with around this time, and I don't think I've... I don't know what's happened to Necro Butcher, folks. Someone let me know. I don't know if I'll ever get a how-to Necro Butcher... What do you think about this man who tied his pants with a piece of rope? Big, crazy hillbilly hair. He's a real-life wrestler, Joe. He's a real-life wrestler. He's a real-life wrestler. he's actually called Necro Butcher. Necro Butcher. Wow. He doesn't look like a wrestler, which I love. I saw him wrestle someone for... The gimmick was that it was like, who's the bigger star in the wrestler? Like, when he wrestled in Ring of Honor. And, like, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, wow, he's literally barefoot. And he looks like an NPC from an online game of Red Dead Redemption. It's great. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, he's got... A, I, just, I love just how weird he looks. He looks like Brody Lee or something. He, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. But, like, way smaller and way more kind of creepy. <laughs> he, like, has this little chat with him beforehand. And this is where I, I literally... Like, I've listened to his Art of Wrestling with Cole Cabana a few times. It's very interesting. Because Cole was just like, tell me about the movie. Yeah. And he was like... You know, I just like was given kind of bullet points or pointers what to say. Like the stuff that he's saying here is, you know, what he normally say. He's literally like, you know, I, I can run. Please don't make me run. No crisscrossing, none of that stuff. Are you okay with a staple gun? And Randy's like, staple gun? You mean staples? No, as in I mean staple gun. And he's like, does it hurt? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Staple gun, which became a big thing around this time. I know TNA were using it a lot of this time. I think it's the fucking stupidest thing in wrestling. Really? A, a staple gun. You could fake it so easily. Who's going to see a staple from a million miles away? Like, no. Like, no, you don't have to zoom in on it. Like, the staples are so horrible. They fucking... Have you ever been accidentally stapled? No. God, no. Okay, I, I've been stapled a few times. Why? Because boys used to staple each other in, pro, in boarding school, Joe. Jesus Christ. And uh, it's not fun. No. Uh, Particularly, uh, yeah, staple goods not fun. Shouldn't be in wrestling. I don't want to see staple goods in wrestling. I'll do without, thank you. I actually disagree. And I think staple guns can work in wrestling. Because I was thinking when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is very realistic. I have seen in a match, I don't know if it was for Jimmy Havoc or John Moxley or something else, but I've definitely seen, I think in a CCW match, someone getting money stapled to their face. Yes, yeah. Definitely, definitely seen yeah, that. Yeah. How do you fake that? Oh, that's true. You, you can't fake that. But anytime I think of staple guns in wrestling, I think of Bubba Ray Dudley putting on a giant ECW Fears TNA sign on Abyss's head and going, staple, and then it just fell off. Like, you know, I'm just like, all right. Like, well, <laughs> and that sucks as well, because the guy he did it to was already had loads of real staples in him. It just yeah. made everyone me go, oh, it's fake then. <laughs> 
Do you think you'd be comfortable social distancing and pandemic aside? Yeah. Would you be comfortable going to see a show like this where you've got staple gun? I mean, we cut to them as bloody wrecks in the ring. Like, I mean, like they're they're talking about the match, cut to them, they're dead, the match ends, and then we go back to like back and forth between what you see in the ring. Would you be comfortable watching something like this live? I don't know. I think if I was surrounded by my closest friends and I was in a good headspace... I don't think our closest friends would like this. Mm, <laughs> I was going to say, no. like, our closest friends are really anxious. Like, I think they'd hate yeah, this. Yeah, I think they would. If, if, if you and I were here with our closest friends, it'd just be like, be on the mat and you start crying and take them away. Like, you know? <laughs> I must admit, there is a, there's a morbid part of me that kind of does want to go to a show like that. Mm. Even though I think I'd spend most of it looking away. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a certain type of fan. I just can't imagine. The main reason I would like to go to a show like that is I want to experience being in the audience of a show with so much blood. Because right. like I've heard of the bloodlust and like how it makes the fans go a bit crazy. Would it make you be like, use his leg, use yeah, his. Maybe. I love the bit where he uses. Yeah. The leg. That that for me was like a love letter. This little scene almost to like Philadelphia fans or like just kind of hardcore wrestling fans. You know the type that are made. Out, like beyond, we watched Beyond the Bat recently, and Barry Blaustein's like. Of all the people I've ever met in wrestling, nothing scared me more than the ECW fans. And they're like, yeah, fuck WCW. And it's like, my God, my, get, get me out of here. Like, no, 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 Mr. Heyman, please, no. <laughs> Whereas like, this is like, look, they fucking love what they love. Yeah. There's a community feel. Mm-hmm. And if it brings everyone around together, like, hey, an amputee is like, use my fucking leg, hit him in the and bin. And then the crowd are like, use yeah. the leg, use the leg. I love the editing for this scene. It's it's one of my favourite parts of the whole movie. The fact that you you obviously see the Necro Butcher and Randy plan the match beforehand and then, then you see them after the match covered in all their wounds. Mm. And Necro's is clearly like, you're all right? Yeah, Grant, he's yeah. fine. He like. checks in with him, which I think is very important because... I mean, as we mentioned on like the Mick Foley episode with The Rock, like that that doesn't happen all the time, and I think that's really or, necessary. As we found out by watching Extended Beyond the Mat, that does happen, and you just forget about you just it. Forget about it, yeah, because it's been <laughs> so badly concussed. But I love the fact that like you get to see all the wounds first, and like very realistic mm. deathmatch wounds. Like it looks so real, like just like tiny little pinpricks all over them little cuts little bruises like the barbed so wire, many yeah the glass. but then you go back and you slowly see as as they're patching them up with the medics and gluing together all the wounds and stitching them shut and stuff you slowly see how they get all these wounds and all the weapons they used and that's a i just that's really clever editing i like that a lot i think it's very easy for anyone who's a non-wrestling fan to see a wrestling kind of match like this and so much happens and there's so much blood and so much this and might they just think Oh, they had fake blood packets and this was all fake. Yeah, and, uh, no. And then you actually see, well, actually, no, it is all of this. And it does shock me that this style was so pervasive. And I mean, it it definitely isn't as much anymore. There's nowhere near the appetite for this this type of wrestling. I, I mean, it can't. With yeah. the pandemic, we can't. Yeah, I think pandemic is definitely going to change deathmatch wrestling yeah. forever. I think, you know, for better or for worse or whatever. But I think... The taking the time with it and going back like this, you, you just you dwell on it. I think it, it allows you to show a non-fan kind of like, yeah, no, this is all this is all real, this is all horrible. And I just think as well, like as a fan, you do get kind of desensitized to a lot of the violence in wrestling. Yeah. And I think for you to see to, to skip the match and just see the injuries or the, the, the wounds, I should say, and 
see them in pain getting patched up. Like you see him flinching to like glue being put on a wound or like staples being pulled out of his arm. But then you see him in the match like selling, but yeah. also not showing that he's in pain as he's getting these things actually happen to him. Yeah. And you get to see like, obviously this stuff hurts, but he's not allowed to show that it hurts, but he also has to show that it does hurt. And it's like, you get to see then that weird complicated relationship with how wrestlers experience pain, but perform pain. Yeah. And he also kind of, well, I think what happens here is he's been worked on and you know, he's all these injuries and it kind of feels like he's waiting for the adrenaline to wear off. And when it does, he's just like, he's not leveling out. He's you know the, 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 the ringing in his ears I think you know that feeling before you're going to get incredibly sick where you just kind of like have to have your head in your hands and like, and you know it's earlier like he was touching his arm a little bit as well. Yeah. And like, so you you, pre- you called it like... Oh, know. as soon as someone touches their left arm, well, a man in a film touches his left arm, they're having a heart attack. Yeah, it's it's it, it's Chekhov's arm. arm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so he has this fucking disgusting like heart attack. He's sick, collapses in the dressing room. Into the sick. You know, waking up in the hospital having to be sedated and all that. Uh, it's just like oh the the reality of like the american healthcare system is something that i probably don't want to talk about much about because i realized there was a recent episode we talked about a lot and someone was like you were very right to say all of that but as an american in, in america yeah, it's kind of hard mm. but like you know he ain't he ain't can't pop on a plane and you know, go grab his nhs care after this you know there he he is basically told by the doctor your heart's fucked we just about saved you there heart bypass surgery uh, you can't do any exercise anymore. Stop taking all these drugs. You have to look after yourself. And it is very much like the Terry Funk, like, can I get around you comfortably? And like, you're not allowed to wrestle yeah. anymore. And, you know, he's kind of already making plans to wrestle, you can tell in the back of his mind. They don't mention in this movie about the cost of him having the, the bypass surgery. Yeah, I mean, he would figure he'd have like five six five figures or something like that to, to pay off. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not saying like I wanted the whole film to be about him struggling to pay off his medical debts, but like, I think one bit of like him looking at a bill, mm. just so we know, because we obviously know he's poor and then we know he's had this very expensive surgery, but they don't really talk about that at and all afterwards. it's a afterwards. huge part of like, you know, It is, yeah. The, the amount of people who I've heard on podcasts talk about working hard and, you know, not going to the doctors just because they couldn't afford it and all that. And yeah, if he's being, if he's being kicked out of his trailer for not being able to pay the rent you'd think that's going to be a huge issue yeah like i kind of thought him waking up and struggling to get out of bed i thought his first question to the doctor well after can i still wrestle would be how much does this cost me but like he's 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 out the next morning and that's so scary like he can't even get off the bed i thought someone's gonna come and say no 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 sit down and and go back to rest like you're off now go on like you know empty this bed please so he's back at home for a long, slow recovery. You just get to see like the the mundanity and the difficulty of like this fucking horrible scar that he has. You know, trying to shower with this scar on. Oh, so hard. You know, he has <laughs> seen here, which has inspired me calling Adam a thousand million times over over the time we lived together. Where he goes, "Hey, Adam, you want to play Nintendo?" <laughs> I think I use that to ask Adam for pretty much every single thing he ever wanted to do. For around eighteen months, period. Wow. Hey Adam, want to have a coffee tendo? Hey Adam, want some egg tendo? You know, uh, I think at one point Xbox tendo was used. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, and then we started a podcast so we could put this comedy to good use. <laughs> <laughs> 
But like him playing with the little kid, it's like at the start you kind of see him being so sweet to the kids, and you see here like this is him figuring out slowly like that everyone in his life around him who he has brought joy to is kind of giving him joy back. He perceives at least as like kind of a sense of like, well, you were you're you're nice, so I'll help you out. Like the kid doesn't want to play Nintendo. Well, no, you know. and it's because it's old. Like he's he's got an he's got a snes. It's no, not it's like, a nes even. Oh, is it a nes? It's a nes, it's not even a snes. Oh my god! So this would Ain't have been no like glass processing here. Nearly a twenty-year-old console, and the boy is talking about playing Call of Duty Four. Like this is not the type of. I mean, it's a very realistic wrestling game. Yeah, very realistic. Oh, yeah. I love that they've got a little Randy. They did. The Make an actual little game for us. Fantastic. It yeah. was very, very good. Honestly, I think that, that seems like a very fun little wrestling game to have played. <laughs> and yeah, but the boy, he's just not interested in this old wrestler. He's only doing it to be nice. And he's, he wants to go play with his friends. Call of Duty, man. And he kind of feels like question the value that he can provide for anyone if he's not a wrestler anymore like yeah. you know what is he like? Is he just a fucking layabout or something like that? Mm. He's back with Cassidy kind of very very upfront now that you know he's not in here to, to kind of flirt or anything that he's like straight up I don't want to be alone anymore you know if... but he does it by going to her work and that's like I, I like these two a lot mm. they make a lot of mistakes you ship them oh I do ship them massively but like you can't go to her work and be like give me time and attention when your job is to give people time and attention like you've either got to pay her for that or come back later when she's not doing that as her job yeah. and like that's the thing like she he goes to her and he wants to talk to her and obviously she wants to talk to him too but she's going to get told off by her boss so she doesn't say that but obviously she would mm. if she went to talk to him so she's like, oh, can you come back another time? And then she's like, oh, all right, no, no, it's fine. Because he tells her that he's had a heart attack and she's worried about him. So we find out that he's got a daughter. You know, she's like, you know, shouldn't you be talking to your family now? Tell them about your heart attack. And the only thing he has to say about his daughter is that she doesn't like him very much. Mm. And it's kind of quite short in that respect. So you see that he's got like a long list of numbers that are all crossed out. So he's very unsuccessful in trying to contact her over the years, it seems. Yeah, and the photo he's got is like very old, like probably 10 years old at least. So he's to stake out the house she thinks she lives at. Kind of, you know, she obviously doesn't want him in his life. So the last thing she wants is him to be like, it's me, your dad. By the way, I'm dying. And again, this is... I, I think people are just like, all oh, right, Dar who doesn't like him, Jake the Snake then. It's mm. like, if you've paid any attention to the relationship that Jake and his daughter have, it couldn't be more different from this, other than the fact that they're estranged. Yes. But their relationship together, how they communicate, most importantly, the expectations of both the wrestler and the daughter yeah. are completely different. And hey, Jake the Snake Roberts isn't the first wrestler to have an estranged daughter or son no. or family member. But he is the one that comes to mind because he's the only one who's got a fucking 15 minute sequence where he very horribly has an awful time with her and then goes and smokes crack afterwards and mm-hmm. cuts a promo for Barry Blaustein. So like, yeah, daughter. But like, were you watch this going, oh yeah, like they clearly watched the Beyond the That and just copy pasted that in there. No, I mean, they clearly wanted to tell a story that would resonate with a lot of wrestlers. You know, that was a common theme for a lot of them. And I think, yeah, being estranged from your child is, as, as you say, it's it's really common. Like, I would say most wrestlers from that era... Some prime ministers even have estranged really? children. I know. Some, some even have five or six estranged <laughs> children. 
So yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely are similarities. The fact that he wasn't there for her like birthdays, her childhood, and she resents him from that. We don't get the details on what of, of the abandonment. It wasn't like no. you were off wrestling or you were off main eventing. You know, no. there's not like the thing where he's like, if I took a week off, and Superman would have fired me for no. taking a week off. She's just like, you found it hard, so you left. Yeah. And then he's like, I tried to forget about you. You know, mm. that's. It's it's obviously like doesn't go into detail for a reason. I yeah, think. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a strength because. Yeah. You don't know. It's kind of left to the audience as to whether or not, like, it was a Jake the Snake Roberts type of thing where he obviously really wanted to wrestle more than he wanted to be a father, or yeah. if he, like, I don't know, if it's a, like a different Jake the Snake Roberts thing where he, like, had some trauma in his childhood, which meant he thinks he couldn't be a father, or if it's, like, totally different, if he was just, like, busy on the road all the time. And I think what is interesting as well about this as an analysis compared to, to Jake Roberts or whatever, Beyond the Mash, and why this is kind of you know, its own thing very much, is that it's not bogged down in in the why or the past or anything like that. And I think maybe, I don't say it's a strength or a failing of the movie, actually, because we spent so much time in the Jake Roberts episode talking about, like, his trauma and his background and all that, and why that, if that doesn't fit into the, the code of wrestling or wrestling tough guys or whatever, he's an outcast and an outsider. Whereas this movie is more like, we're judging this man solely on the actions of the here and now. Yes. His past is his past, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be changed. And it's just about him now. There's no like, he was abused, therefore we can explain it. And it did make me think a lot because we spent so much time in the Jake Roberts episode. I was very conscious that I didn't want to like, just explain away all of his demons Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But I do accept that a lot of people only want to judge someone on the here and now, what they're like to you now as a person. And like, you know, you're only good to me as a person, as a friend, as a hero, as you today. And yeah. I, I respect I respect that as a viewpoint. But mm. again, it makes difficult any sort of a comparison between these characters, I think. Which I think is a good thing. Yeah. To, to me, the, his relationship with his daughter reminded me of like kind of a perfect cross-section of, of Jake Roberts and Bret Hart. And a little bit of Rick as well, maybe? Yeah, actually, yeah, definitely with a bit of Rick as and well. And Rick was very much like a choice as opposed yeah. to a trauma that mm. maybe kind of made the decision for him, you know? Yeah, I, I like the fact that the film doesn't get bogged down with you thinking whether or not Randy's a good dad or a good person or whether... Yeah, the, what he did was right or wrong or selfish, or you don't know the reasons for any of it. It's, you literally get no information. Let's look at my notes here. It's like it actually does remind me of, of Brett's relationship with his wife, probably yeah. more than his daughter. Yeah. This line here, you could read, read this exactly as Brett. I nearly died. Yeah, well, you're an asshole. <laughs> it's kind of like you know, along the lines of what their relationship was like at times. We have a very, very poignant sad I counted around 20 sad faces in my notes uh, there's a, there was a sad signing and this is like something that I'm very glad that I've never went to which is like a signing to see the legends of yesteryear and it's just really fucking grim mm. Johnny Valiant too I was like that's 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 a real wrestler was this guy you see he's face down asleep at one point yeah. that's, that's Johnny Valiant he's a real life wrestler he was on a recent episode of How To Wrestling, Joe. What? He was only one of the guest judges at the Miss Royal Rumble Swimsuit Contest. Wow, how can I forget him? So Johnny Valiant's two-time appearance on How To Wrestling now. It's like sleepy, sad old men. And you see him look around, he sees like the colostomy bags, you know, and he's kind of like, it ain't me. Yeah, he looks around and there's a guy to the right of him who's fallen asleep. There's a guy next to him who's got crutches. There's a guy next to him who's got a wheelchair. There's a guy next to him who is like drooling or something. And then someone next to him with like a colostomy bag. Like they are all falling apart. 
And Randy the Ram is the guy I want to go queue up for because I've been to not I've been to big signings, let's just say, where there's probably this level of sadness spread out around fifty tables. Yeah. And I will say the one thing I've always learned from from going to wrestling signs is you make your own look as a wrestler, i.e. you control the energy, the yeah. narrative, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So that's why Randy's there like, Ram, you know, he, he knows how to get the fucking, he knows how to get the pop from the people taking the pictures. No one wants a picture of themselves with a fan who looks sad because it's like, you want to see you as a wrestler with these fucking miserable look. You want to see like they're having a good time yeah. and all that. When I met Jimmy Hart and the Nasty Boys, and I was literally like, with all the plump and circumstance of a 20-year-old going to see Santa, like, I'm going to go fuck shit up, man. You know? <laughs> and they were so great. Really? The pieces of shit, like, individually, for mm. own, their own individual reasons at times. Maybe less Jimmy Hart. But they were just so great at being a wrestler to take a picture with. Yeah. They are all like, wow, over-the-top crazy characters. You want to hold my megaphone? Like, you know, the nasty boys are jumping around like they're in a Survivor Series team on the apron. It's like, you know, you, you have a lot of control over here, but when it's someone who's just like kind of sad and is like, don't want to be here, man. That, again, I think would suggest that it's it's supposed to be less Jake and more other wrestlers, like yeah. Rick and people. Like Not even Rick, actually, because he doesn't go too far the other way like he's just good with the the, the fans he's, he's like just dancing got that. on the table like doing yeah. shots like, <laughs> like we cut back from here again another analogy you see like randy's there kind of soliciting the autographs and whatnot and you'd see like this long sequence of cassie going around having to put on the sexy voice to ask men for a private dance and get kind of quietly rejected to very varying degrees of rudeness and you know she you start to see then when she sees randy that maybe, yeah, it's not just the case that he's getting a lot from her. She's actually using him. They're actually kind of a little bit of a codependence. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think they're both kind of a little bit embarrassed about relying on the other person. Yeah, because of the situation of how they, they met. That, that is weird when there's a boundary like that. I think it would be the same as if, you know, they they worked together or something like that. Like, as soon as there's like a line there, it's just like, yeah, you're not really supposed to cross this. A little bit of love advice for Randy, though. When she comes up to him and asks him for a dance and he's all like kind of, you know, drinking a cup of coffee because he's, you know, his heart's fucked and all that. He's like, no, I'm uh, not ready for that yet. And I'm like, mate, you should have said, I go for a dance, but you'd fucking kill me. <laughs> that's a compliment. Yeah. You know, that's a great compliment. <laughs> But she offers to help Randy with, with Steph. You know, she says she's going to help him buy a gift. It starts off with just like, here's a shop to like, why don't we go on Saturday and we'll we'll go do it. And you can tell she's already kind of like half regretting it. Cute days. She arrives and she looks completely different, obviously, because yeah. she's in her normal clothes and normal makeup. And he says she looks clean. He is the perfect amount of like wrestler who's used to being like the guy Dave with the room was like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the struggles that those wrestlers have just talking to normal people. And he also is like, he's that Jim Ross level of like, I am politically incorrect and I'm aware of this and I'm going to try to not say things, but like, I think my daughter might be a lesbian. So does that mean she'll wear a different type of coat? Like, you know? I love the fact as well, like Cassidy's like, no, she'll, that doesn't mean she'll dress differently. Cause she knows that cause she's works at a strip club. Yeah. She definitely is friends with at least several lesbians. And uh, spoiler alert, I will be getting you a special Jane no. coat for, for, for Christmas. Please let it you not be. You don't want a special Jane coat? Not a lime green Wait, hang fake on, hang satin on. one. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Folks at home, back me up on this. The J stands for Joanna. Like, would that not, no? Like in the way that the S stands for Stephanie? Yeah. Please not lime green. Okay, I'll get you a peacoat as well. Like two, yes. There, there you yes. go. Yes. Get me a peacoat. Yes. The two coats. 
Oh, there's real cute. He's the little the action figure that he has on his dashboard the entire time. Cassidy, who we find out her real name is Pam. She mentions that her son, who's like age nine, and he's like, oh, got just the thing. And like, I remember the first time I saw this, it's like, all right, you're getting a bit desperate now, mate. Like, you know, giving her stuff. I always remember there was like a girl I liked once and I was like kind of she came over to my house to hang out and I was like oh I've got like this spare thing I'm getting rid of and then she when she was leaving the house she had like two or three things I was wow. like I think I've just decluttered by giving lots of stuff to a girl I like I don't think that's a really helpful or healthy thing do you not like me why don't I get given random things all the time because Joe you and I have reached the true level of love we declutter together <laughs> yeah <laughs> must be love 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 so like you can view it as like oh this guy just wants to get into her pants he's giving away toys now no I but don't think he does he realises they have a bond because yeah. they both have kids but you and I think you can tell that it's, he doesn't like, obviously he wants to have sex with her she's very attractive and he's obviously attracted to her but I think right from the get go they show that he's not in this for titillation mm. when she gives her lap dance when the first time they have a proper conversation together and she's giving him a lap dance and she's completely topless like you see her whole breasts and pierced nipples and pierced all nipples and all and he's not looking at them he's making eye contact with her as he talks about his wrestling life like that's something you do when you're very comfortable around someone and then she's like look if your aims are too diffuse to sum up in three lines it's not a presentation <laughs> <laughs> genuinely just wants to show because i think she brings up the fact that she's a kid is like look i'm old i'm sad you don't want you know it's a turn off for guys yeah yeah Yeah, guys hate that i have a kid and i think it's his way of saying actually i i love kids yeah because we know he loves kids he does love kids he gets on with them really well he's a big wrestler yeah very well with kids yeah they go for a drink together and she mentions that she's retiring from stripping Mm. and that she's going to move away which is, is is sad for him but he doesn't seem like he seems happy for her, even though he's like, obviously, that would be bad for him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, he doesn't know what his plans are at yeah. the moment. So I don't know if he knows if he could factor into them or I not. I get the feeling, though, that this kind of inspires him. Yeah, they kind of, they have a moment here. where They're talking about, you know, the 90s being crap, which leads to them having a passionate kiss. That's cute. <laughs> and we've had a lot of, like... Yeah, we, we watched Married at First Sight Australia, so we've seen plenty of, like, unreciprocated kisses. But, <laughs> but this was very much like it was getting into the passion. She was, like, kind of, you know, she was going to eat his face off. He did do a sexy dance for her. He did do a sexy dance for her. And she stops herself. And it's not because she's like, I think this is wrong. She's like, this is is wrong. Yeah, she has her know? rule. No touching the customers. Yeah. And that is both a professional and a personal rule to, to protect her in both aspects. But it's in such like a transparently, sorry, gotta protect myself. You know, she's like, sorry, you're a customer. He's like, but you promised you drink a beer. She's like, bye. I know, like I get why like her character does this. And it makes him feel like he's done something wrong. But it's she realised she's done something wrong. Yeah, She's the one who invited him out on a date. And then she's telling him that she's retiring, she's leaving the business, and then she kisses him, and then she says, but no touching the customers, but they're not at work, and obviously she's just said she's leaving. It's mixed messages for him. Poor guy. Poor her as well. Obviously it's super hard. Well, he's had a horrible time. He's been kind of a bit dejected. So he's asking for more hours at this, this job he occasionally works at. I don't think they mentioned what originally he was doing. He's just like working in the like the loading bay of a oh, supermarket. Right, yeah. So he's like lifting heavy boxes, things like that. And he asks for more hours. And his boss says he can work at the deli counter. And he's all like, no, I don't want to work at the deli counter. You but were, me... You were straight away. Yes. I was like, yes, yes, yes. 
Work at the deli counter, you'll fucking love it. I'm a deli counter girl. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I did deli counting for nearly 10 years. And so are you like, fresh as monkey's breath, brother? Were you you, (laughs) you feeling it? Yeah. When you walked out, do you have the scene that he had here, which I think is my favourite scene in the movie. It's, It's fucking excellent, where he's walking from the back and, like, you just you hear it's because of all the noises and hums you hear back in a in a supermarket or something like that. There's you know, the fridges, the, there's the aircon, all that stuff. General chatter from the kitchen. But it just mixes in enough that you're like, oh, is it, is it an audience for all that? Yeah. And then like as he's going down the stairs, it's like no, he's full on like he's Goldberg right now yeah. in his mind. He's he's having the full experience right to the point where he gets to the plastic sheets. And the chant Randy to, like. and and he like but like the sheets obviously are like the curtain for the, yeah. going into the ring like he pulls them aside and like outshines the light and he even does like the little kind of warm yeah. up you know like he's just oh it's it's very good so good it's so fucking good and he excels he excels so much at serving the good people their various sliced meats that he decides he's going to cancel the match he rings up and he's like don't think I need to do that anymore. That's it. I love that I called that. I love that I was like, yes, he would love this job. Having worked with a lot of of butchers and d- done that job many times, mm. it's all the things that most wrestlers are really good at. You have to be strong because the meats are heavy. You have to work the meat slicer. <laughs> so you yeah. have to be able to, to understand how to safely use tools. You can't By- be afraid of getting a little colour. No, yeah. can't be afraid of getting colour. By the way, I am one of the very few people who is trained on a meat slicer oh really yeah just, how just, thin could you get it oh i can do as thin as you can get i can really? do 0.5 actually i've even done 0.3 were you kind of going to like you know how kramer in seinfeld he, he gets his own one so he can have like the, the the ham that's so thin you can see through it like in my job if you didn't slice the parma ham so thin you could see through it you were sent home oh man imagine like a thick parma yeah. ham steak that's <laughs> rubbish nice and rubbery <laughs> And also, much like wrestling, there's a lot of like crowd work. You've got to you've got to be able to manage multiple people at the same time, but also do that one-on-one interaction. I have this theory, right? And I'm not saying I want to do this, but yeah. I'm just saying, Morrison's, if you are listening, and this whole podcasting business doesn't work out for me, I am reasonably confident that I could provide a level of mid-level banter to the extent that I could perhaps give you. 10 to 15 grams less of the product that they have asked for and they won't notice because they've been charmed by Irish eyes. (laughs) That's my theory. I'm just saying, hey, we can build up a reservoir of egg mayonnaise. Who takes it home? Me, your friend Kevin, (laughs) who saved you all that money in egg mayonnaise. So he's loving this. He's got the meat banter. Oh, he's got it down. He's got it down. And honestly, all the butchers I've ever worked with, like in hindsight, I was like, oh, they all obviously wanted to be wrestlers. The obviously. whole time though, you were like, oh no, he's going to, no, no, uh, you. Like, I think you were worried. Like, I know when he was like throwing it like a football, you were like, no. He was pushing it a bit far. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've seen it happen. Yeah. You know, you work at the deli counter. We all get a bit mad on the, the, the deli fumes. Any, anything particularly bad you could, you could relate to us here? I've I've chucked some smoked salmon around occasionally. You know, we've 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 thrown bits of meat across the room into each other's mouths. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think with you, like if I was going for throwing something, I'd be throwing something that was maybe backpacked. I'd feel okay about that. Oh yeah, no, yeah. we always threw the backpack meats. That's fine. Every, you know, you've got some at home. Throw them around now, guys. Yeah, it's exactly. okay. It's okay. So he has a. He decides to go out and meet Stephanie again. Another stakeout. He pulls the old fake present, real present routine, which. Very, very good, but uh, not going to help you want to declutter. So after you think carefully about that, I'm going to buy you my three coat present. There's the good coat, the bad coat, and then the really good coat. (laughs) But they have this beautiful scene where, 
you know, again, there's like more analogies here. They're going out to the old pier where she used to go as a kid. And I think the pier is obviously meant to be like, like an analogy for his career, I guess. Like this formerly grand place that's kind of broken down, it's a bit forgotten. It's still there, but it's not what it once was. It's more like a relic to what it once was. And like they have some realistic kind of touching moments as much as you could expect her guard is up yeah but the kind of reminiscing where he says that like he doesn't care if she wants to see him or anything like that anymore it's just that like he deserves to be alone he knows that he just doesn't want to feel like he's an active source of pain anymore which you think about it is kind of quite a selfish thing to say to someone it's like look you go about your business just don't make me feel bad about me anymore but i I think there's a way there's a way to say it i don't think that has to be inherently selfish no. and i think it's cruel to assume that anyone who does that is being inherently selfish because i think I, I think it's really kind in a way to try and remove hate from someone's heart because hate is exhausting it sure is it's it's just unbearable and mm. i think if you can improve someone's life by like just making them stop hating you or something for a bit just a little bit yeah that's very kind and also selfish but also kind it's kind of sad because like they've made these plans, they've had a sweet moment together, but it feels like it's a it's a fleeting moment because as soon as he's kind of having a good time with his daughter, the chat here that they have on the pier is so like the acting is incredible. Like Evan Rachel Wood is just fantastic, and Mickey Rourke is fantastic. And I know I said about him and Marissa Tomei having great chemistry, but in a father daughter way, I th- I think he and her have really good chemistry as well. Like it just feels very like you he, i think i think he cries for real oh you yeah, know them tears are fucking hell man he's fantastic he's such a good actor yeah and honestly if you saw like i think sean penn won for milk that year right and there's no way you're not telling me that people weren't just snobby about it because it was a wrestler movie like it absolutely no. was and i think that 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 would have hung over the movie and his nomination regardless if he said i'm going to go wrestle chris jericho for an hour or if like if he denounced wrestling or it didn't matter he wasn't mm. going to get it i think it was simple as because of who he was and what the movie was about just that's not how that academy works sometimes oscar doesn't reward the most deserving <laughs> uh, of of recipients what i really liked about that moment though was that as you said earlier you don't see his face a lot in this movie you see his back a lot yeah yeah which i kind of thought very wrongly it was because mickey rook's not a very good actor and i was like well they're just trying to avoid it <laughs> shoot his back <laughs> but it was actually obviously very deliberate in that you only see his face in these very personal touching moments. Yeah. So you don't see his face much in the matches when he's selling or, you know, when he's playing the character of, of Randy, you just see it really close up. Like when he's like having these intimate moments mm. with Cassidy or with Stephanie. It's to great effect for sure. Kind of heartbreaking moment where like, just as they've made plans and you feel like things are coming together for him and he meets Cassidy again, who just simply tells him that, you know she can't do this whatever whatever this is between them that there's this boundary that's set up and it's not going to go away and he has to accept that and then he's completely flips the switch on her and he's like right fine if i'm just a customer then fucking dance for me shake your ass push your tits together do do as that you're meant to do Mm. and he gets you know ejected from the strip club and it's like he feels betrayed. It's almost like he in his head is like set up this objective list that like if I get back with my daughter, I get my job, I kind of I'm responsible, I don't do the match, I'm trying to be a regular person, that I've done all the things. I'm a normal guy now. You can date me. I'm not just a customer. I think that rejection is like kind of what sets him off on this path, so to speak. 
and I don't think it's even just that. Like, I think it's the fact that Cassidy tells him to reconnect with his daughter. So he only does it based on her advice. Mm. And then the fact that it's worked out means that she's improved his life and he yeah. wants to share that with her right, and show yeah. that she has a positive influence on him. And then for her to say, like, shut it right down and go, nope, 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 nope. It's like, I, that's, I thought that must be really hurtful. Yeah. Also, I know not the point of what we were talking about here, but I know we we're talking about Mickey Rourke being like actually wrestling in the mm. movie. Marissa Tomei is actually pole dancing in this movie. Oh yeah, movie. that's not an easy thing to do. That's really hard. And she's doing it in stilettos, in like a tiny thong, no top. That's like level two strip teasing yeah, right there. Yeah, really impressive stuff. Like she's obviously done her work. If you have been heartbroken and depressed, I can only recommend to you that you go and see an R-Truth match. It usually does the, the ticket for me. Were you surprised to see Ron the Truth Killings show up at the matches? I was, and <laughs> I saw him and was like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if R-Truth was in this? Because he kind of looked obviously like our truth because yeah, it is yeah. our truth and then i saw him again closer and i was like oh god i'm so keen for our truth to be in this movie i've just convinced myself it's him and it actually was yes, our truth <laughs> he's so good he's a proper show stealer he's a natural he's natural he, he has the exact like interaction that like kind of you know that if an old wrestler was going backstage just to shake hands and just to be there exactly the fucking yeah. interaction it was so authentic so authentic and of course our truth who with his secret of the fountain of youth looks exactly, exactly the same. same now here in this movie in 2008 currently 2020 on the show that we watched and back in 2000 on Smackdown where Adam and I are seeing him at the moment he, he just is the same all the time it's amazing good I, job our truth yeah I just love our truth <laughs> <laughs> it makes me want to see our truth as an actor or something like it he's good he's, he's got so he's, good he's got, he's got it he's definitely got the X factor so it's an after party and this is the the slippery slope of being a, a big time wrestler he's at a you know some after party the woman doesn't know anything about wrestling other than he was a sexy poster on her brother's wall growing up and you know, he lies to her and says yeah i'm still wrestling all that and it's shots cocaine sex in a bathroom do you want to have a party yes what kind of party like a crazy fireman party that's a red flag for me. Not Is that what she said? A crazy a cra fireman party? Party like a crazy fireman party. <laughs> like, I've never seen someone with such defined kinks. It's amazing. Like, yeah. He... Pr pretty much fireman. If you can do that for me in any way, we'll have a good time tonight. Like. He wakes up in a room. It's like a teenage boy's room covered in boobies, except it's full of sexy fireman stuff. And he's wearing fireman boots. It'd be really funny if she ripped off all the heads and just kept like, you know, the, the axes <laughs> and the fire extinguishers or whatever, like, you know. So yeah, he, he has to creep out of there. There's like this brief moment when he arrives back in the trailer where he's like, you know, still got it. Like he's really happy with himself, you know, that he's, you know, he had a shit time with, with Cassidy, but like, Still got it. Just yeah. had my, you know, just like the old days. Goes to sleep. I don't know if you know this. He's got a hearing aid. Like yes. a little cue for it. And I think what they meant to imply is that, you know, hearing aid goes off, you go to sleep. I imagine you're going to get a hell of a fucking sleep. Mm. So he wakes up several hours later. It's night time. And it's basically like when you tried to review the most recent episode of The Big Show Show. <laughs> it's available on our Patreon, the Atchera Podcast Patreon as well, where it's like, oh, just... Whatever happens, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, missed his meeting with Stephanie. He's fucked up real bad. Big fight. He shows up. 
you know, it's one of those things where, like, the housemate opens the door, the door's left ajar, he comes in. Like, girlfriend. Definitely girlfriend. Definitely girlfriend. Definitely girl. And you don't... Who gives a shit about their housemate's dad like that? <laughs> housemates who are secretly in love with their housemates. <laughs> ah. So, yeah, but it's one of these things where, he, like, you know, the door is ajar, so he comes in and it's like, ah, what the fuck are you doing here? And it's... Mm. It, there's no... It's, it's shown that, like, you don't get chances and like kind of um, you know, rightly so you don't get chances in his in his case because she is somehow even more broken damaged than he is yeah and like you don't know what his background his trauma was growing up but you know exactly what her trauma is and it's like it sucks you know it's mm. she'll probably never be able to trust anyone mm. i don't I, I i hope the movie wasn't kind of trying to go for like it she can't trust men so she's a lesbian now because her no, dad abandoned because her because they didn't actually say she was no. a lesbian i'm interpreting that because i mean the way that her and her housemate talked to each other seemed very intimate and you know she she's out the door as well when they argue as yeah. well, which, which again shows you that when you're a victim of this grief and trauma it's not just a case to like hey your partner's there and your best pals about the whole thing it it causes fights it, yeah and you know the way the the housemate reacted to him showing up pissed her off so much that it made me think that like she's had to deal with the the aftermath the whatever, aftermath yeah. exactly of like i don't know an episode or a breakdown mm. that stephanie has suffered as a result of like the absence of her father yeah absolutely and yeah so she she's just like absolutely furious sobbing on the floor hitting him throwing things at him like full-on like breakdown and he's keeping really calm which i think is quite admirable yeah and she says never want to see you again never don't, don't hate you don't love you just get out of my life you're done yeah. that's it which is the coldest and probably healthiest thing you can do He's back working then in the deli after that and it's not the environment you want to be in while going through all the shit that's in Randy the Ram's head. There's this one customer who's like, you know, a little more, a little less, a little more. You know, his buttons are being pushed and then right like as soon as this guy shows up who's like hey do i recognize you from somewhere you could look at the screen you were like turned away like i know something's gonna happen with that because he's using the meat slicer and that's why you don't just have anyone using the meat slicer now my second job at the deli counter not my first job my second job when i moved to lincoln i was the only person in the entire cafe slash bakery who was allowed to use the deli slicer even though i was the youngest person working there by about 15 years because it takes so much training to use a meat slicer. It like really is super dangerous. Yeah. You have to, if you're going to use the meat slicer, you have to know how to assemble it, disassemble it, clean it, do maintenance. It's really hard and really dangerous. Those blades spin so fast, they will cut off a finger in a second. So he basically punches it. And he punches it. And I just knew as soon as he was slicing this meat and as soon as the guy was like asking him about that i just immediately knew that something horrible was gonna happen with the meat slicer and he punches the meat slicer and his hands all fucking shredded and somehow he doesn't have to go to hospital this is my biggest bone of contention yeah. with the movie if you punch a meat slicer you are going to hospital <laughs> so what i thought was really interesting about this was that when he was like i quit and all that and he like he was smashing everything up did you notice what he was doing to all the stuff he was smashing he was doing, like, the Randy the Ram oh, really? forearm strikes. He's wrestling it. Which, like, the only thing I could compare it to is, like, if Ric Flair lost his fucking job at Starbucks. Took all his clothes took off. Took all his clothes off and started, you know, <laughs> knife-edge chopping all the lattes or whatever. <laughs> Woo! It showed you, though, that 
like when you have the unbridled rage that comes out that like you know there's wrestlers have this part that they access or whatever but like for him randy the ram like all these parts of him it is randy the ram like he can't have a breakdown he can't have this episode without becoming his wrestling character and i think you know there's oftentimes these wrestlers who it's like they the allure of their character they like being it like you know rick flair he likes the lifestyle he likes what it feels but Sometimes there's people like Randy the Ram or Macho Man or something like that where it's almost scarier, where the character just seems to kind of put its hooks into them. And it's not like, hey, you have to live this lifestyle. It's like when you get emotional or you get paranoid. Or like like Randy Savage, when he was being real-life paranoid, he was just becoming the Macho Man character that he was playing. And yeah. how did he play that character? Oh, excess is the paranoid part of my brain. And it's, it's like, it's it shows you how unhealthy it is because mm-hmm. wrestling... You have to access the parts of your brain, the bits that are you are like this, that, or the other. Like Mick Foley, if, if you're his kids and you upset Mick Foley, I can imagine some classic Cactus Jack promo coming at you growing up. You know, yeah, it it changes you. I'm not saying it damages you; it's damaging. I think I don't even necessarily think it's always damaging. I think sometimes it's that's the type of person wrestling attracts. Yeah, like very much. Like, like we see him play fighting with the kids early on in the movie. Like he's obviously quite. I don't want to say immature. But he is, he's quite childish, like emotionally, he's not very mature. And I think him sort of going into character when he's quitting his job and smashing everything up is almost like a, it's like a comforting safety blanket for him because yeah. it's like, he's playing a character, then it's fun. It's, it's playing. It's not a real life consequences. It's yeah. just wrestling. Just wrestling, yeah. It's kind of a way of like absolving yourself somehow. But also having an element of power. Oh, guess what? The match is back on now. Yeah, wrestling! Cass shows up to apologise, saying, look, she overstepped the line. She's still trying to put the barriers in place, letting him know that, like, it's kind of not going to happen. But coming to his trailer to do that. He's not even listening. He's like, yep, off to to the show. See ya, you know? And you you get the kind of, the little glimpse of it, but it's, it's, again, the little glimpses that you get of these things that, you know, are so wrestling, like the guy in the van on his own, fucking slamming the the ceiling, like just getting himself psyched up on the drive for yeah. the match. And I, yeah, it, it worried me. This was a bit that was a bit too true to life. I, I imagine Terry Funk, like, in oh, many occasions. Oh, God, Mick Foley. Mick Foley. Yeah, there's a lot Absolutely. of people where it's like, uh-uh, off we're going. You know, I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> the only thing is, is that at least, at least he's in the car on his own and there's not like a very very worried wife and kid in the yeah. back or whatever it is mm-hmm. so we head to ring of honor and we get introduced to the ayatollah played by the decidedly not middle eastern african-american ernest the cat miller which again agrees. very wrestling very wrestling he's black <laughs> but he's kind of lighter skin and i like as well that you get to see him first well yeah. other than like the, the old posters that yeah, he's yeah, in yeah. But you actually get to see him in character first as himself, used, you car, see, sales, used yeah. car salesman. I exactly. love that. And you see, he's just he's just an all black guy. He's not Middle Eastern at all. And then he puts on this turban and the whole fucking thing. And <laughs> he he was probably the most realistic wrestling character ever. Hey, you want to see fucking who's Jake Roberts in this or whatever? Like this guy here when he's like, can we go over the spots of the match? He's like spots. Yeah, you're the face. I'm the heel. There's your spots. Like, <laughs> that for me was seems a lot more like what Jake Roberts yeah. would do before a match. Like the only thing he was missing was the long drag and the cigarette. Like, like, yeah. But I just love that he was just this, you know, larger than life character. I don't know if Ernest the Cat Miller's ever come I've up never for, heard for of you. Him. He was a big name in WCW in the 2000s. He was one of Vince Russo's faves. Oh yeah, was he good? He's, he's really good in this. Very charismatic. Yeah. He had pioneered a style of Taekwondo that was kind of extremely light. 
and his wrestling style reflected that. He he was if you could somehow cross peak Shinsuke Nakamura with peak bad The Miz, right. that would be his wrestling style. Wow! <laughs> As like he'd that. do all these like savat kicks and stuff, but it'd be like. Ah, like, <laughs> like feather touch uh, king of soft style <laughs> yeah king of soft style for sure so cassidy is working and she kind of comes to this realization that oh i think something's wrong here she's like in the middle of a dance like yeah. literally top off riding that pole when she's like hmm i'm worried yeah she's off she's off to find and hopefully save randy she's not sure what if anything she can do you see Randy preparing for the match now and, you know, he's saying his prayers and we see Cesaro! Yeah! Yay! With hair! With hair! I would not have recognised him if you hadn't said yeah. that's Cesaro. No, that's not Cesaro. Cesaro is a bald man. This is a, a man with hair called Claudio Castagnoli. Completely <laughs> different. I love as well how much, like, Cesaro's glowed up so considerably. Oh, yeah. Like, you'd think, oh yeah, he's got hair here. He must be, like, way hotter. No, 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 no. Cesaro is perfect now I, this is so much like the the alpha cesaro like, i would love to do an episode on him so oh, that'd much be great. can you imagine well like, someone's requested an episode on the heroes of wrestling aha well that would actually be a very very good uh, deep dive for then we can do him and hero at the same time cassidy tries to reason with him literally as they're playing his music she's first of all she's she's like running to get to him in time like you know his matches on next he's getting warmed up she's like buying tickets trying racing through the backstage area asking where he is you're like will she make it in time it's like the classic airport scene in a romance movie she gets to him and she finds him she's like why are you why are you wrestling you've got a heart condition and he says uh the only pain for me is out there and can't then, can't get hurt in here. Yeah, this is the only place I I don't get hurt. And then he he makes his entrance. Oh my god, I had goosebumps the entire time throughout this scene, and yeah. that that bit particularly where she's basically saying like, "You don't need to do this, you know, come with me yeah. or whatever." And he looks so at peace when he comes out. Mm. I know you were asking about crying and all that. If you had not paused, because I knew you had to pause quite a few times when we were watching because you wanted to you know, take notes or check out who people were or kind of recontextualize and all that. If we hadn't paused, I probably would have started crying. Like if it was just me this morning watching this thing, I think straight down the lens, I probably would have started crying yeah, at this point. Yeah, I, I think I would have done as well, actually. Uh, not Maybe not exactly this point, but this scene. I was. I don't think Guns N' Roses rarely, if ever, brings me out in goosebumps. <laughs> it's a re- this is going to sound so cringe, but it's a really special song to me, especially with regards to wrestling. Oh, really? Because... As you may remember, you know, I mentioned in an early episode that I was the uh, the queen of ice, the you ice were? queen, yes, with my, my only wrestling friends that I yes. had. And they were massively into Guns N' Roses. And one of my fondest memories I have is of uh, two of them playing me, Sweet Child of Mine, on guitar. Like, they were in a professional band. They were good. Like, oh, okay. So even though it's a cringe song and I'm not like the biggest Guns N' Roses fan, I was like so impressed. And so I associate that song with wrestling really oh, intrinsically wow, cool. anyway. And then for him to come out there to that music was very much like, whoa, it really sent me right back. Another thing I really liked about the scene was that, as you said before, like you see most of him from behind. And mm. this is the first time we see him make his entrance to the ring from the front. Yeah. You actually get to see his face and he looks happy and excited and full of joy. And he just, yeah, he, you can just see he wants to be where he is right now. I know there's a, people I've talked to in the past who were at this show. There's a few Ring of Honor shows where they 
did rehearsals first. Oh, yeah. So like, they would just say, like, hey, we're going to do something for the, this movie. The rest of it's coming out. It's going to be really great. Can you, like... They would give them direction and all that. And they would, like, shoot some scenes and all that. And I was on some before who actually was at this... Act, this was an actual Ring of Honor show. Wow. So there's really, really, again, really smart production yeah. on this. That they kind of piggybacked it onto the Ring of Honor production and all that. Because... Yeah, if you just had, like, random actors playing wrestling fans, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. These, these guys, like... They basically were able to... Get over Randy the Ram is exactly the type of character. And people are like kind of bowing down yeah. to him when he comes out. The way the fans react when he cuts his promo, which is very much like kind of the, the Ric Flair, you know, you people, the only people going to tell me when I'm done. You know, it's a real, it's like he's saying goodbye, but also kind of being welcomed back at the same time. Yeah. This match is really, really fascinating in that you see Randy do way more than he does in previous matches. Yeah. He does like Hurricane Rana's. He does a, a, a tope to I the outside. I can't believe he did a Hurricane Rana. He did two. So fucking amazing. Yeah, that's a Sandman move over. Most unlikely man to do a Hurricane Rana. <laughs> uh, this may have uh, technically been classified as a Heineken Rana because of its uh, low angle, but it was still a fucking Hurricane Rana, nonetheless. We got a holy shit chance. <laughs> Which again, you wouldn't, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think you'd get that in a film with actors playing wrestling fans who no. aren't wrestling fans the reason they went holy shit is because mickey Rourke did a dive yeah. or did any literally anything did anything and they knew right he's a he's a big top star who we love that's what we do yeah i think they were very easy for wrestling fans who are already been asked to suspend their disbelief who are just being told can you continue to suspend it in yeah. a slightly different flavor exactly wrestling fans are used to that <laughs> the most like wrestling thing ever when randy starts to experience heart problems and the ayatollah says just pin me he's like, he's like, he's like i'll take over and he does like a really bad pratfall he's like just pin me randy we give him enough i'm like fuck you ayatollah this is not how we do business <laughs> is the referee to end the match in an unspectacular fashion that is how we have to do it <laughs> yeah randy's struggling here he's falling over he's stumbling around like he he's he's clearly not not in good shape and the only things he says to to his opponent is like bring it or like you know, he, he wants to up the ante he wants it more and more and more and then he looks over into the, the backstage area and he sees that Cassidy is gone. And like she she was watching him but she left because she was like, I don't want to see him die. Yeah, we, we, we see her leave and we don't know if she leaves leaves or just doesn't watch. But it's it's obvious that the reason is isn't because she's like given up on him. It's because she's it would hurt her too much to yeah. see him risk his life that way. Of course it would. And obviously he doesn't know that. He just looks over and sees her gone and so he decides to climb up to the top rope. And Ram jam, baby. He's struggling. He's, he's making his way up there. It's slow. The long kind of poise moment that made me think so much of Macho Man. Though, yeah, the, yeah, and not just the pose, but even the framing, the costume, yeah. the like, everything about that shot was Macho Man. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, you know, he's a little bit shaky on the knees again, yeah. breathing heavily. It And the movie ends with him... This kind of camera angle from underneath him, you just see him kind of leap out of sight doing the ram jam, and then that's it, it cuts to black, like pure Sopranos style. Yeah, you don't know how he lands, if he no, lands, if he lives, what the if reaction he dies. is, you know nothing. Like you hear a bit of ambient audience sounds, but it's so ambient you can tell it's not supposed to be accurate of like what's happening. It's like he's in this fantasy now. The only thing you could definitely take from it is that he's done it. Yeah. And whether you know he was always going to do it it's that it's basically it's like it doesn't matter what you think about it he was going to do it it's like you have no control over this this man was going to go up there and do that and do this match in spite of what it is and that is kind of 
the most kind of scary thing about the wrestler's condition or whatever you want to call you know every wrestler to an extent it's been argued has got something of a death wish yeah or at least a ailment wish of some sort and when the personal life is overshadowed by the joys of wrestling and then that comes to the point where life causes pain and the thing that meant to cause you pain actually just gives you joy instead that these are the kind of outcomes i look are there loads and loads of wrestlers who've died in the ring no I mean, we've talked about some cases of wrestlers dying in the ring i know what happened in the ray mysterio episode i don't think it's like a, a very accurate representation of what would happen if a man with heart issues went in there but i think ending it in that kind of mysterious way kind of absolves it of that of that judgment i think in what way sorry in that like i don't think you're meant to kind of look into much about kind of like would would this happen in a match like would this? what happen like would a guy with a heart condition start having problems and then go up top and then kill himself doing a move we don't know if he kills himself but i mean yeah i i my personal viewpoint from reading that is that he dies like how does he die of what he he dies of a heart heart attack or his heart gives out as as he's jumping off there it quickly cuts to black like that it's just like in the same way that from the sopranos i view that cut to immediate blackness yeah it's done right he's 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 not he's not alive but then again i don't i don't that's not a point that i would even go so far as to argue no because it's entirely subjective it is meant to be that you know i don't think it's like david it's not like the creator of the sopranos kind of going oh what do you think Mm. i don't think it is it's just like a david lynch thing he said it's like are you thinking good yeah good you've had a think you've had a lot to say about the movie yeah it's interesting you, you say you think he dies i did not think that no and I thought he, I thought someone was going to die in this film. As I said in the, the pre-swirl bit, were, I yeah. really thought someone was going to die. And yeah, I just didn't watch that and think, yeah, he dies. I, I, I watched that. And you know what it reminded me of? is Pan's Labyrinth. It's so yeah. random. But like, I remember having the same kind of feeling of like, I'm not supposed to know if this is real. Right, or if yeah, this is yeah. a fantasy or if he's dead or if he's fine. Like, it doesn't matter. It, it's not about that. Like, mm. I'm not ever supposed to know. Right, I see. Because it is an unknowable. It's, it's not about... As we said in the Jake the Saint Roberts episode, you know, we don't want to talk about happy endings mm. because it doesn't mean anything. We don't know <laughs> what we don't know. And I think the fact that it ends so ambiguously and so suddenly is perfect for a wrestling movie, especially yeah. one about like a character like this. Because just like with Jake the Saint Roberts, as we said at the end of his episode, we don't know what's next for them. It could be, you know, a life of pain and pills and drug addiction and You're alcoholism. You're not allowed to and... have these endings in yeah. wrestling. Or it could be a nice time. It just depends on luck and resources and, you know, lots of different factors. Mm. And I love the fact that you don't know. So I don't think he's dead. So it didn't piss you off the end of the movie? No, right? I loved okay. it. It was so weird. Yeah. The fact that the credits take a, like a minute to come in. So I thought they were like fading to black and they were going to come back in with like another bit at the end. Mm. I thought it was so good. I was so confused that they ended it there and I loved it. I really liked it. So like kind of winding up here then, you've you've enjoyed the movie. That that much is is very obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah did, I did. Did it have any standout like failings or things about it that you were like you know, either as a wrestling fan with a few years under your belt or as someone who kind of is is still on the newer side compared to me to wrestling, like, do you think it had any shortcomings? Do you think that there was something it didn't do that it should have or were there things that it did that it shouldn't have? Hmm. 
I, I mean, there's bits I would have liked to have seen, but I'm not so arrogant to say as like it's a shortcoming that they didn't do it. Right. There's lots of things I expected to see in this movie that I didn't get, and I'm not disappointed by that. Is it smaller than what you thought it would be? Yes, and I think that's a strength. Yeah. I think. I think if I were to listen back to the priest, well, I'd think I was an idiot because I'm like, I want this and 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 this. And it would have been a terrible movie. Really confusing. It's been sad, ready to rumble. Yeah, exactly. They're just really clear cut in like the fact that this, this story, as I said, could be, it could be about anything. It could be about sports. It could be about being an actor. It could be about lots of different industries. And it's all still very relatable, even if you don't know anything about wrestling. Mm. But also the fact that it does touch into the the kayfabe of wrestling and how the wrestling industry works and how it's different. Did you feel you learned from us? I did. I learned a couple of bits here and there, yeah. like about the blading and yeah, things yeah. and how they... I've always been very interested in how they'd put on a match, like the, mm. the banter beforehand, seeing that in action. It's one thing being told what it is. It's another thing actually seeing yeah. it actually happen before you, yeah. But no, I'm just really glad that like it was as focused as it was. I'm really glad we didn't... You know, even I wanted to see him grow up from a younger age i was hoping we'd kind of get this like story of like his journey through wrestling and then his foil we didn't spend much time dwelling for a character who is stuck in the past we don't spend pretty much any time there yeah but i think that's really good actually because this film is only 106 minutes it's quite short yeah compared to some of the things we've done on cinema for sure and i just think it would have been a bit overwhelming for non-wrestling fans if they'd gone really deep dive and also the deeper dive you go the more issues other wrestling fans will have mm. because they'll be like oh that isn't true to my experience or yeah, yeah. you know that's not what i've heard and i just like the fact that they just like they just tried to keep it simple as just a, f- a fraction of his life is it fair is it a fair movie having having looked now at so many wrestlers and their struggles and whatnot is it a fair representation or is it something that we'll always have to have an asterisk beside him saying this is not the lived experience of all wrestlers Bret Hart is a very big house like, <laughs> you know you know what I mean like is it there are wrestlers who've a much greater number of wrestlers have praised this extensively yeah. than have had anything bad to say about mm. it but I know there's a lot of wrestlers who've had caveats so I mean just from your vantage point do you think it's it's fair like do you think that yeah. the wrestling industry should be proud of this. Is this is this something to set set in alongside it, or is it like a an expose of the seedier side of wrestling that some people? Because Jr. is like, it's it's a miserable movie, and it's too miserable. It makes it seem like wrestling's a miserable place. And like, I remember people at the time, like the people at Jr. Were kind of go like, well, how do you want to be a wrestler then? If this is what it's like, you know? Has he not seen the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just kind of felt that it was kind of a dour portrayal, like. So is is but... how? Like maybe because he's not a wrestler. Mm. Obviously, I'm not a wrestler, but like I don't, I did not watch that and think, why would you be a wrestler? I watched that and I completely understood why people want to be wrestlers. So you felt, even though you felt sorry for him, yeah, and you could understand his pain and suffering and all that, it wasn't like a, wasn't a negative no portrayal. It was something he was very good at. It's something that he f- had a lot of control over. He was respected in the industry. Mm. He, he had confidence in doing it. He enjoyed doing it. It brought him him like happiness. And it made him feel like a sense of, of achievement and glory and fame and stuff. And, and I totally see why people would be in, into that. And then yeah. to have like a, a flash of that in front of a live crowd. Like, uh, yeah, I think Jim Ross can't maybe relate because he's not... He's not a performer. Yeah, and I think... Like with it as well, it's like he's Randy the Ram is like is a 
is a very, very much his own character, as, yeah. as we've discussed. And I think an issue will always be with wrestlers and people in wrestling, wrestling personalities. And I think to myself, in the first few viewings of this, I was definitely tainted by this as well, is that when you see the wrestler, it will remind you of a wrestler. The, mm. Your first viewing of it, I think you might be a bit of a special exception to this because we've covered so much recently and you're kind of, you're reviewing it. But like most people I knew when they first watched it, it's like, ah, yes, this is Lex Luger, the movie. Or, ah, yes, this is Jake Roberts, the movie. Like, And you kind of contextualize it in the head of like, well, is it fair to Jake or is it fair to Lex or fair to Randy? Fuck that. Uh, at the beginning of this movie, I actually said, oh, I'm going to keep a list of all the wrestlers who they're referencing in like his character work. Mm. And then 10 minutes in, I stopped because I was like, no, this is pointless because that's not going to be as obvious as that. And I, that's very clever. They're not, it's, it's not about doing justice to one wrestler. It's about telling the universal story of what it's like to be a wrestler in that industry. And I don't think many people have the experience what Randy the Ram no. has now. I think ever, there's a, it's, it's, it's a handful of people, I think. That's specific, like, main event notoriety and now you're living in a van type of thing. I think it's a very small list. Yeah. Don't come at me with like people like Omar E. Gennetti and stuff because it's like just because someone's a career long like, you know, tragedy story or whatever just and doesn't mean that they were like a top, top main event or anything yeah. like that. So my only other question for you is that given that you know, we've spent a long time talking about how the wrestling industry is, is, is different now or, or whatever. And I think we've corrected ourselves on that more often than not mm. recently with, with, with everything that's went on. Or do you think another movie is needed to kind of tell the story of what it's like to be a wrestler now? Like, do you think someone could watch this and kind of go, oh, right, wrestling. And then you actually to be, actually now in 2020, I don't know if this is, is indicative. Like, is there lessons to be learned for 2020 wrestling from this? Or is this very much a thing of the past? Neither. Yeah. I think it holds up exactly as it should mm. because wrestlers from that era are still wrestlers from yeah. that era. And I think that's the whole point is that it's a bit dated and it's showing that it's a declining industry that doesn't have as many people coming to it as it may be used to. Mm. And I don't think it's something that could just be retold for a modern audience because how do you do it without the WWE? Yeah. Like you just, I just don't think that's, that's the thing. Like I, I feel it's very brave of, of the people who made this film to talk about the wrestling industry without talking about the WWE. It shows you don't need it, though. You don't need it, you yeah. You don't need it. And they and made they... everyone think of all these very famous wrestlers, but they didn't actually... They haven't taken anything from any one person's no. life. And anything that was there in terms of, like, Ring of Honor or WXW, that was less, like, for them to piggyback. It's more for them to say, thank you, Ring of Honor, for doing all the stuff with us. Here's yeah. some free promotion. They could have easily changed it to something else. Yeah, made it a fictional promotion or something. I like that it was set kind of somewhat in the real world... Would you watch it again? Yes, I would definitely watch it again. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. And I'd like to watch it without pausing it to take notes and stuff. Yeah. You want to watch it and just absorb it yourself. Yeah. It was really sad and happy. and sad. I, I really liked it. You I love it. a good sad movie. I, I really like that, like, happy, sweet mm. sort of thing. I, I just love that. The, like, ambiguous, you don't know. I That fucking kills me. I love it. Mickey Rourke was amazing. This is just such a great movie. Marissa Tomei was so good. And it was just like, I would love to see more. This honestly made me want to see much, much more wrestling media. Right, yeah. But not like, I want a remake of this. I don't want anyone to try and do anything like this. But a this. series of a similar tone, you think, would be? Not even necessarily no? a similar tone. I think they've they've told this one story really well. Mm. But there's much 
there's loads of other bits of wrestling that's like really fascinating to me that like I feel haven't been explored and I think I selfishly wanted this movie to do everything and it would have failed if it had like weirdly I want you if you've seen this movie and you know, you've not seen a lot of other wrestling movies I kind of want you at home to watch Cocabana's The Wrestling Road yes. Diaries because I feel like it was filmed around exactly the same time it's deals with Ring of Honor but like it's pretty much a mayor of like well this is what it's like if you're like a Coca Banner or a Daniel yeah. Bryan or a Sal or whatever like you know the, this, is, this is what it's like now on the industry not as a veteran but like I, that's why I thought that it was so authentic I felt that he felt like he was this atypical person who was in the typical world of wrestling and yeah. I think it is it still holds up in that sense I don't the fact that like it wasn't about wrestling even though yeah. he's a wrestler it's it's, it's just it's setting it's back yeah I think. that's just the the profession he he is in it could have just been about any other it didn't need to be as loving and as and as accurate no? and as like you know as respectful as it was it could have easily not done with half of that stuff i think it was important to do it to show that he wasn't just a loser he was you know he was a man who had skills yeah. who was who was an, excelled in his field and all that like the fact that he's such a likable guy yes like as far as wrestlers go he, he's like nicer than all the real life wrestlers yeah. i can think of like <laughs> I, I, none of them would be as nice as, as as randy the ram like he was so obviously he's a, he's not a good dad but like he's so calm with stephanie when she like freaks out at him and hits him and stuff like he's just steady it's like the right way to react he was a calmer presence than a lot of wrestlers we've we've known yeah sure. but i also really like mickey rook's portrayal of like straight away you get the essence of the wrestlers he's trying to be like mm. just through like the way he talks and i think that's just like naturally what mickey rook talks like he just does talk a bit like he a wrestler a bit of the wrestling patter. yeah but, but he's, like, not, the he's way... not being a parody though you know no but like, he 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 talked so and softly like jake but he also kind of talked very deeply and a bit depressingly like brett mm. he also was a bit mumbly like rick yeah <laughs> and it's just like yeah it's yeah, it just a really good clever combination of all these different facets of wrestling without actually being a direct like look it's rick flair look it's bret hart look it's macho man i mean the most obvious one is the very final scene where you see him standing on the top yeah. rope and that's the moment that kind of like made me tear up just because it made me think of Macho Man. Oh, well, now that you're teared up, I will ask you finally for your Star Wipe rating, please, Joe. Star Wipe rating? What, is this out of five? It's out of five. Okay. I loved it. I, I think I've said everything I have to say and I think very unsurprisingly I have given this five stars. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> you heard it here first. 